Good evening, everyone. The November 28, 2023 Loudoun County Planning Commission public hearing will now come to order. As is our custom, will you please join me in standing for the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. I hope everybody had a lovely Thanksgiving holiday last week and uh, is back and ready to work. I um, apologize now if I cough a little bit. I, I swear I'm not contagious. It's nothing crazy, but I do have the sniffles, so bear with me if, if needed. Um, members of the public who wish to comment on any item on the public hearing legislative agenda may do so this evening. Uh, if you want to comment on a returning public hearing item on the agenda, you may do so at the beginning of the meeting. There will not be additional public comment taken once the commission begins to discuss the returning public hearing items. If you are in the boardroom, please fill out a speaker slip and hand it to the assistant deputy clerk of the planning commission at the end of the dais to my left. If you are participating electronically, please call the number on the bottom of the screen. If you signed up to speak after 3.30, please confirm your name is on the speaker list as public comment sign up closes at 12 noon as indicated on our website. Indicate your name and the agenda item you want to address. Each speaker will have three minutes, two minutes if you are speaking on a returning item. Six minutes if you're speaking on behalf of a civic organization. Four minutes if you're speaking on behalf of an organization on a returning item. Written comments may be submitted to the Assistant Deputy Clerk who will make copies for the Planning Commission. The Commission may vote on applications tonight and send its recommendation to the Board of Supervisors or may forward the, term, the item to a work session for further consideration before taking a final vote. Our procedures for public hearings are as follows. We will have a 10-minute staff presentation followed by commissioners' questions to staff. Tonight, each commissioner will be given three minutes to ask questions of staff, and we will limit the round of commission questions to one round, please. Uh, we will have a 10-minute applicant presentation when applicable, and the hearing will be open for public comment. After everyone has had a chance to speak, the hearing will be closed. The applicant and staff will have an opportunity to provide any responses to public comment. And finally, there will be a motion, deliberation, and a vote by the commission. Uh, we have <clears throat> a set of minutes to review and adopt. Do I have a motion? Vice Chair Combs. Um, Madam Chair, I move that the Planning Commission approve the Loudoun County Planning Commission um, public hearing minutes for October 24, 2023 uh, as presented. Second. Motion is made by Vice Chair Combs, seconded by Commissioner Miller. Any changes or amendments? Seeing none, all those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? All right, the motion carries 9-2-0. Uh, before we get into our legislative items, I'd like to hear, uh, take any disclosures from commissioners. I'll go ahead and start at the end and work my way down. You can turn your light on if you have something. <coughs> nope, nope, nope. I think Commissioner Moderetti. <laughs> Thank you, Madam Chair. I met um, with Tony Calabrese and uh, Edo Howie on 1121 on Innovation Drive. Commissioner Kirchner. Yes, um, thank you. I had a um, virtual meeting today with Tony Calabrese and um, Howie Adeo uh, from DLA Piper concerning the um, 
Innovation Gateway application tonight. Thank you. Commissioner Miller. Thank you. On uh, November 24th, I met with Aaron Swisshelm um, with uh, Walsh Lucci regarding the Ener Evergreen Energy Center application. And um, yesterday on 1127, I met Tony Calabrese and um, Howie Adeo um, with DLA Piper regarding the Innovation Gateway application. Commissioner Marathio. Yesterday, October 27, I had a phone conversation with Ben Lay about the Moonlight LLC Albright early withdrawal. And today I uh, visited the Philmont Fire Station with Rick Pearsall and Douglas Frost. Thank you. Vice Chair Combs. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, today I also visited the Philmont Fire Station with Chief Pearson, Doug Frost, and Ben Lay. And yesterday I had a video conference with Tony Calabrese and Howie Adao regarding the Innovation Gateway rezoning. Okay. Um, as for me, on the November 14th and November 28th, I had Zoom meetings with Tony Calabrese and uh, Eddie Hadao um, about the Innovation Gateway application before us this evening. I also had a call on November 22nd, I believe it was, yeah, um, with Ben Lay regarding the Moonbright application that um, has been postponed from tonight's agenda. <sighs> okay, um, I think that covers all of that. We do have legislative items. Um, we, I will, we had three items on our agenda for legislative items, just in case those who haven't figured it out. Number two, the um, uh, ALEGI 2023-0016 Moonbright LLC early withdrawal from the New Hillsboro AFD has been um, deferred at the request of the applicant, so we will not be working on that tonight. So if you have any items um, that you, if you would like to comment on either Alleggi 2023-0021, the Bramblet early withdrawal, or uh, Alleggi 2023-0082 Evergreen Energy Center. Uh, now is your opportunity. Are we also doing, no, we're not doing the other ones yet. We'll do those later. Okay, great. Um, so I do not have anyone signed up in advance to participate either in person or remote. Do we have anybody in the room who would like to speak on either of those items? Okay. Seeing none. Uh, wait, wait, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Our returning item is number four, right? Right. Yes. Yeah, so, if anybody wanted to turn or wanted to speak on the returning item, they could do now. But we will have the other hearings as normal. So we would do the staff presentation, then the applicant presentation, and then we would ask for public comment. Okay. So we're just doing the returning item now, Innovation Gateway. Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you. That. Okay. That's why I should read this before I um, before I sit down. Okay, no, we're not, but that's the way we have to do the public hearing. So, <laughs> so if there's any public comment on Legi 2023-0027 Innovation Gateway, now is your chance. Still have no one signed up in advance, so we will open the public hearing. Is there anyone in person who would like to speak on that item? Okay, do we have anybody online? Chair Frank, we have no one online. Thank you very much. Uh, then I guess we will close the public hearing on that item. Uh, we will begin our, uh, our legislative items on our agenda. We'll start with number one. Is it, I guess we're saying alleggi, 
on these. Um, Allegi 2023-0021, Bramblet Early Withdrawal of Property from the new Catoctin South AFD. Rachel, welcome back. Thank you, let's see if I get this right. Good evening, Chair Frank and Commissioners. Uh, this item is request for withdrawal of land by Sarah and Todd Bramblett from the New Catoctin South Agricultural and Forestal District, a legi 2023-0021. Um, the applicants are requesting to withdraw 20.34 acres from the Catoctin South District, um, which has a 20-acre minimum subdivision. The owner wishes to create a family subdivision which restricts ownership to defined immediate family for one year following approval of the subdivision plat. Virginia Code section 15.24314 permits early withdrawal prior to a district's expiration for good and reasonable cause. The new Catoctin South District will expire on June 1st of 2024. The, far, the forested parcel is located on the north and west sides of Hurley Lane, opposite Beacon Hill, and is generally tree-covered with one house. The Agricultural District Advisory Committee considered this application at its meeting on November 6th, and the ADAC recommends um, denial of the application, finding that the, a family subdivision is not a good and reasonable cause. Staff, on the other hand, believes that the one-year restriction on ownership to immediate family is a good and reasonable cause and supports a commission recommendation of approval. That concludes my presentation. Thank you. Do we have any questions from the commission? Commissioner Kircher. Yeah, I just have a question. Uh, maybe I just haven't noticed it before. That uh, is this the first time that we've had a recommendation from the staff that's different than the recommendation of the Agricultural District Advisory Committee? I'm am sorry. What's the question? Well, if I'm understanding correctly, the Agricultural District Advisory Committee recommended to deny the request, right? Correct. But the staff is recommending. Approval. Correct. So is this, I just hadn't noticed this before, I mean, is this the first time we've had a difference in recommendation from the committee and staff? Yes, in my recollection. Yeah. So, I mean, was there any, was there any other discussion from the committee beyond why, or why they felt the um, parcel is not a good and reasonable, that the family subdivision is not a good and reasonable cause? That we... We discussed what a family subdivision is, um, which is in the uh, county subdivision ordinance, and it restricts the um, ownership of the subdivided parcels to, it defines what immediate family is, the 
application says it's intended for their children. Um, it could be for, you know, grandparents, brothers and sisters, children, for one year following approval of the subdivision plat. And the ADAC on that night did not believe that was sufficient restriction, um, that it would be a good and reasonable cause. Because it was just restricted for one year, and then after that it's open to whomever. It could be sold to um, anybody. Or, anyone. Yeah. Okay, great. All right, thanks so much. Commissioner Merrithiel. Just as a side to that, uh, a similar question, this is the first time I recall the ADAC ever recommending denial of an application. Is that right? That's my recollection as well through the past eight years. So in their discussion about are they just saying that because it's being subdivided, that's not the uh, uh, not a reasonable uh, reason for withdrawal? That the subdivision, which after one year it could be just a regular or, you know, sold or granted to anyone else um, and subdivided a, whatever the zoning ordinance would allow, they did not believe it's a good and reasonable cause. Is the property in land use at this point? Uh, no, it is not in land use. So they're not getting a tax benefit or any rollback tax required from this? Correct. Okay, thank you. And, and I just would add that, as I stated, the district expires on June 1st of next year, um, and if the landowner would send me something in writing, you know, a couple sentences stating they wish to withdraw, that is a buy right withdrawal. So there only would be only saving six months. A few There's months no findings anyway. for withdrawing at that anniversary date, right? You don't need findings to withdraw. No, it's by, it's done by right. It's just yeah. Thank you. Vice Chair Combs. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, Rachel or, or Marshawn, if someone goes through a, a family subdivision and they successfully subdivide, is there a restriction on further subdividing? For one year. For one year, okay. Mm, no, sale. <clears throat> that was a sale restriction, but that's also on a further subdivision. It's a one year restriction. For this parcel, it's 20.34 acres in the um, AR1 zoning district, so whatever oh, the zoning district would there. permit, it's unlikely that Got there it. would be any further subdivision. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Miller. Um, the, well, while ADAC has recommended denial because of a, of a family subdivision, have we seen withdrawal requests um, for family subdivisions in the past? Yes, that about have been a year ago. Um, the Marsh Farm, um, one of the children of John Marsh came in. They just, because the parcel was an irrevocable trust, they couldn't avail themselves of the death by landowner. And uh, the son was intending a family subdivision to provide a small portion of the 20-odd acre parcel for their one of their children. Okay, and ADAC didn't object to that last year? No, they did not. So unless ADAC is completely different, or majority is different, that, that's interesting. Okay, thank you. Any other questions from the commission? Okay. 
at this time we open up a public hearing. We do not have anyone signed up to speak on this item. Is there anyone in the room who would like to speak on the item? Do we have anyone online to speak on this item? No one online. Thank you. Alrighty then, we will uh, go ahead and close the public hearing on this item. Uh, thank you, commissioners. I'd like to entertain a motion, open it up for discussion. We are in Catoctin, Mr. Miller. I move the Planning Commission recommend that the Board of Supervisors approve the request to withdraw 20.34 acres. The 20.34 20, acre parcel, pin number 306-497263-000, as shown in attachment one to November 28, 2023 Planning Commission Public Hearing Staff Report for application ALG 2023-0021 from the new Catoctin South Agricultural and Forestal District because such withdrawal was found to be Good and reasonable cause based upon the landowner's stated intention for a family subdivision. Second. Motion is made by Commissioner Miller, seconded by Commissioner Matthew. Do you have an opening, Mr. Miller? I do not. Okay. Any comments or discussion on the motion? Alrighty, we have a motion on the table. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Me. Okay. Motion carries 810. Commissioner Kirchner. Uh, dissenting, or opposed, we're not dissenting, we're not the Supreme Court. Alrighty then, we are done. We are not doing the second one, so thank you, Rachel. If we don't see you again this year, Happy New Year. <laughs> it's almost that time of year. All right, uh, since we are skipping item two, we will go down to item three, Legi 2023-0082 Evergreen Energy Center. Just a reminder, um, to everybody in the room, all applicants in the room. Oh, no, 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 you guys do have a presentation. I'm, I can't read things that are highlighted right in front of me tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize. All right, uh, so we are all set on this. And we are ready whenever you are, Nick. Madam Chair, while we're getting started, and members of the commission do want to introduce Nick Cicero who comes to us from Dumfries in Prince William County. Uh, he's been here for almost three months, and he is a new project manager and uh, presenting this application this evening. So please cool. welcome Nick. Welcome, thank you for, uh, for joining us for your first time. We'll try to be somewhat kind and gentle. Thank you, Chair. <laughs> I will be, I can't speak for them. All right, go ahead, Nick. All righty. Uh, Good evening, Commissioners. My name is Nick Cicero, Planner with the Department of Planning and Zoning. I'm here to present the application for Evergreen Energy Center, LEGI 2023-0082. The subject property is located in the Catoctin 2011 election district and the Little River 2022 uh, uh, election district. The property is located east of James Monroe Highway, Route 15, and west of Evergreen Mills Road, Route 631. There are residential properties to the north of this site with a utility and community waste center to the south and an existing electric substation to the west of the site and vacant land to the east. The applicant is requesting approval of a commission permit or CMPT permit application to allow the development of a 2.97 acre 
Hattery Storage Facility. The county's review of commission permit applications is to assess whether the general location, character, and extent of a proposed public facility are consistent with the 2019 general plan. The subject property is located in the rural north place type, which envisions rural economy uses, working on agricultural lands, open space, and a limited residential base. Staff considers the proposed site adjacent to the existing substation suitable for the for the electric battery storage facility due to its proximity to the current infrastructure in place. The applicant is also required to provide a puffy R type C between the proposed use and adjacent parcels. In addition, the applicant is providing the required 15 foot road corridor puffer type two boundary along the property's frontage, which I will show you on to the rear of the property will be the type C landscape area boundary and in the front of the property will be the 15 foot road corridor puffer type two boundary. Uh, along with this, the facility will be monitored remotely and will not require any full-time staff members on site. As such, staff has identified no outstanding issues with the application. The proposal is consistent with the policies of the 2019 general plan, including the land use and public facilities policies. Staff supports the approval staff supports the planning commission a approval of the application i'm happy to answer any questions that the planning commission may have thank you very much thank you all right commissioner do we have questions commissioner miller yes and i think everyone knows the first question i'm going to ask um is there a pressurized water source within three thousand feet of the back of the property i believe i have lee Stormer online uh, to answer questions regarding that. Leon. Leah, Chris, are you online? Do you see him on there? Okay, they were. They did log on earlier. Okay, we seem to not have them on the line anymore. I apologize. Um, but the applicant has gone out and assessed the uh, nearest facility, nearest uh, hydrant as well. So I will let okay. the when applicant back, answer that question. Well, I'll okay. ask that question again when they come back. Okay, appreciate um, it. You can do that. And then I, I mean, I, these, are, these are questions for both, I guess, staff or the applicant. Yep. Um, Evergreen Mills Road is going to be widened at some point or in some time. Um, has this applicant um, reserved right away for the future widening and construction of Evergreen Mills Road? I'm going to have the applicant answer that question. Okay. We can and let them answer it now or wait till. We'll wait because we'll, they're going to have I'll come back to that. Okay. So then hopefully answer it in the presentation. Um, Thank you. Other than that, I will go back to my water question at some point. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Vice Chair Combs. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, Nick, do we know what the uh, building height? maximum is here I see we don't have elevations in the packet so I'm just curious about the structure um, and how it may fit here yeah great question if you 
give me a m m moment I could go through real quick and find yeah. it for you, and I could actually come back to it if that's okay. okay. Sure enough, thank you. Oh yeah, so sorry about that. Oh. No, you're good. <laughs> all right, do you have any? Sorry about that, I'm a newbie, so. No, that's all right. Uh, Commissioner Kirchner. Yeah, and, and these might be questions for the applicants, so just tell me if, if I'm asking the wrong time, but um, what types of batteries are gonna be stored here? I'm going to allow the applicant okay, to I'll wait that for that as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, and then just to, con well, yeah, my second question I think is the applicant too. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. We're going to go ahead and while you're looking that up, we'll, we'll buy you a little time and do some tap dancing and we'll go ahead and do the applicant um, presentation. So we are ready for that. Although I guess then you have to pull those slides up too. I'm making yep, you multitask on the spot. Sorry. Sorry about that. I also have Lee back on. He oh, is from we do. the f f f fire marshal's office. Lee, are you there? Oh. He's still muted, so we will come back to him. Okay. No worries. My apologies. So typically the applicants will present, if you want to present here, you can present on next to your staff as well if you need to. Okay. We're ready when you are. Yeah. All right, good evening, uh, commissioners. Thank you for again this opportunity to present to you about Evergreen River Center, and thank you the county staff here for assisting in this application and uh, the members in public for attending. Um, my name is Chris Meyer. I'm the project, lead project developer from East Point Energy uh, that's been helping this application through this process. Can you hit the next slide, please, sir? So I'm, in this presentation, I, I know you've in the past reviewed a, this type of project, so I'm not going to go into the details, but I, I did hear some questions about the battery types, et cetera, and I will uh, try to answer those and again some of the other inquiries you had. I do know where I can show on the map where the, the pressurized uh, hydrant is, for example. Uh, but want to make sure you know who we are at East Point Energy. Uh, we'll talk about, again, a little bit about our specific project and then a little bit more specifics in the details that about Evergreen Energy Center. And then, of course, happy to answer any questions you might have. Next slide. Uh, quickly about East Point Energy. Uh, we are based down in Charlottesville, Virginia. We solely focus on developing barriers restorage projects. Um, we were founded about five plus years ago by industry uh, veterans who had a long history in developing solar and other renewable energy projects. Uh, we were acquired about a year ago by Equinor, a large multinational energy firm uh, that's developing wind projects on the East Coast, but looking for a partner to develop the battery that complement those uh, wind projects. Um, we are a team of project developers, engineers, construction managers, operations managers, and importantly now with, again, the Equinor backing, we can not only develop the projects to get the permits, get their interconnection agreements, but also construct them and own and operate them. Next slide, please. Uh, like I said, uh, our management team has an extensive experience in developing renewable energy projects, and we were developed some of the first uh, battery energy storage projects here in Virginia. They are operational functioning, have not had any safety issues. Uh, we have some of the largest projects uh, that will be operational that are under construction development and being owned by Dominion uh, that are being finished and we expect to operate at the end of this year. 
Next slide, please. Uh, these are some of the utility partners that we develop projects for uh, throughout the United States, but importantly here, like I mentioned before, Dominion Energy, serving some of your constituents here in Loudoun, Rappahannock Electric Cooperative, other partner here in Virginia. Next slide, please. Uh, someone asked a little bit about the height, and if I understood that question a little bit. Uh, this doesn't get exact to that. These in battery enclosures, which you might look at the white boxes in the middle of the, the slide here, is a, just a stereotypical rendering of what a project might look like. Uh, they usually get up about to 12 feet. Sometimes they have extensions on top of them with HVAC units, et cetera, that could go a little bit taller than that. But we're not talking multi-story building structures or anything like that here. Uh, some projects might have a substation uh, with transformers, et cetera, attached to it. Ours does not have a green energy center because it is adjacent to the Novec substation. It's a little different than this rendering. Um, but those battery enclosures will usually have a battery chemistry. A lot of typical ones include now uh, lithium ion, the same batteries that we have in our laptops or our cell phones, et cetera, stable technology. Um, but also there are different battery chemistries that are being looked at for longer term. We have not selected a battery chemistry yet just because uh, we need to get further along in the development of the project before uh, we can finalize that type. And we always want to use the best and best purpose for it and the safest one because the, the technology is evolving rapidly. Okay. Uh, I think important here to note also is you don't see a smokestack. There are no emissions coming from these projects. Again, we want them to be not seen. Uh, you see here in this example, there's a, a, a fence and a vegetative screening along that fence in addition to other vegetation that is important. Uh, again, we don't want these things to be messed with. They're very expensive and uh, we want to keep them operation or operational. Next slide, please. Uh, there are multiple benefits to these projects. And again, you've heard a lot about them before, but I think probably the most relevant here to Loudoun County is the potential for multiple of these to help you delay and or not have to do a lot of transmission upgrades, additional transmission lines, additional substations to help feed, again, the increasing electricity demand. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, fire safety and safety of these projects is uh, paramount, uh, not only to East Point, but to the industry in general. Uh, there's multiple layers of safety uh, checks that go through with these. They start with uh, the proven battery technologies being coming out of the factories where there's a quality control check there. They all get aggregated into these battery enclosures and at the project level they go through rigorous tests before they're even allowed to connect to the electricity grid. They have to follow all state, local, and federal regulations and codes. And there's a specific now fire prevention code, it's called 855, that has been developed and is evolving for these battery energy storage systems that we would follow. Uh, these are all monitored also 24-7. They can tell when the battery's not functioning properly. They can shut it down remotely, again, if they think there's going to be a problem. And finally, if all those checks fail, uh, we have relationships with the first responders. We've already met multiple times with your fire department, hosted them out at our site. That is just the first of many meetings that we would have. Once we select the final technology, uh, we will have an appropriate respond, emergency response plan that will, the fire department will be trained up on so that they can respond uh, appropriately if necessary. Next slide, please. Uh, now specifically, Evergreen Energy Center, from a size perspective, it's called it to be a 20 megawatt project, which would be the equivalent of basically being able to supply electricity to about 30,000 homes for two hours, or 15,000 homes for four hours. This will be a multi-million dollar investment that, again, will also help increase your tax base. 
Next slide, please. Uh, I think uh, Nick already kind of presented the location, but here's the general location. Next slide. Again, it is adjacent to the, the Snovec substation there in the solid waste center. There is some residential nearby, but we do try to site near existing uses. That makes sense. Uh, I'll just say, and we'll get this a little bit, but like where that big M is for Evergreen Mill, that's where the fire hydrant is from a location perspective. Next slide. Uh, and so if, again, you're worried about where that, that fire hydrant is, it's about 100 feet, it would be on the, uh, the road on the bottom left corner, basically kind of across from the Novak substation. When we met with the fire department there, they just said it wasn't a concern to them to be able to provide water uh, to provide suppression to, again, to the neighboring area if that was needed. Um, this is an uh, engineering rendering we did. Again, just want to make sure that this is not exactly what it would look like, but wanted you guys a uh, kind of a bird's eye view of what it might look like, uh, or it would probably most likely look like. You do can see the distribution connection line kind of at the bottom of the, the structure there that would connect to Novec. Uh, I think importantly here, we do want to maintain, again, the existing vegetation for viewshed perspectives, not only from the road, but along the property line to the neighbors, so that would be the north or to the right of the project there on this slide. Next slide, please. Uh, Nick already, I think, covered a little bit of the site plan for you uh, with the vegetative screening and the setbacks, et cetera. One thing I do want to mention is we have agreed to an invasive species management plan for three years. That was requested of staff also. Next slide. Finally, uh, East Point does pride itself on being a, a good neighbor and development partner with the community. Uh, we started our community outreach early in this process when we first applied for the application. So that was early in June. We sent letters out to neighbors within 500 feet to let them know that this was a starting process, give them some basic information, and make sure they know how to contact us. I had one neighbor call me and uh, we spoke on the phone and I addressed his questions and I haven't heard from him since. Uh, we developed the website and, and posted that up in, in early August. In mid-September, we reached out to Carrie uh, Deaver, one of the neighborhood HOA leaders for the Evergreen Mill area. Uh, with her, we coordinated and put on the Facebook group for the neighborhood a community meeting that was held on October 17th via Zoom. We had one attendee uh, who didn't have a lot of concerns but was just looking for more information. And finally, as part of this process for the hearing, we did send out notices to neighbors on November 14th uh, for the hearing and haven't heard any other feedback from folks. So uh, again, we did our best effort to reach out to folks and answer questions uh, and, but, and feel pretty confident about that effort. Uh, that's wrap up for me. And again, I'm here to answer any more questions you might have if I haven't addressed some of the questions you already asked. Thanks. All right, thank you. Commissioner Miller, I'll let you start. Is there a right-of-way reservation? There's not, emails? there's not because it wasn't part of the staff review. However, uh, you know, that's going to continue into site plan. I also don't think that DTCI has a final engineering or understanding of exactly what they're going to need at this point. Mm -hmm. But DTCI is not a referral agency nice. on a, a commission permit. But we know Evergreen Mills Road is coming. At some point, it's coming. Um, we're starting that process with an application further up the road that you guys know about a little bit. Um, so, well, the only thing that I would say is that in order to uh, effectively reserve right of way, you would need to know what right of way to reserve and, and where and how. Um, right. And 
there's just not that information this far down the roadway. Uh, as you know, I'm intimately familiar yeah. with the, the application you're referencing. Um, and you know, I think that's a conversation that's continuing again into site plan. Okay, but the applicant would be would work in some point in the future work with the county to widen the road. Should it be necessary? The uh, design of the site has also accommodated accommodated for the fact that co correct there will be a wider road one day. Correct. Yes, that's part of the reason that um, the batteries are further off of the the right of way. Okay. Good. Um, do we have fire marshal back on? Nick. They are emailing us answers. We're trying to get them unmuted. The answer to the one question about location, Nick, do you mind reading that? Yes. Yes, I could read the, I could read the okay. answer. Uh, so I, he, he's able to hear everything, but he's okay. not able to respond. But his answer to this question was that uh, the f fire hydrant directly across the street, which is located generally around this vicinity, if you're yeah. in front of you the, the arrow. Yep, right in front of the pump station. Yeah. That that is a pressurized uh, f f fire hydrant, okay. and and the applicant has confirmed with the Loudon water uh, that it's still currently operating. Perfect. That's all I need to know. Also, Thank Commissioner you. Miller on the road discussion. Murray Pham just chimed in that this that their site would be fine in terms of accommodating Evergreen Mill Road. And she states that they would not need more than 10 feet, if at all, from this site to accommodate that road expansion. Perfect. Thank you. Vice Chair Combs. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, with respect to the, the residences that are to the north, they look to be a, a fair distance from this site. Do we know exactly how far the residential structures are from the facility? I, I don't know offhand. Um, but I, I would note that um, they've got existing tree cover on their property, which helps to screen. And then in addition to providing the screening um, that is required, um, we're asking for no modifications to screening requirements. So we're doing a type C buffer, which is the most intense um, buffer uh, under the zoning ordinance. Uh, as Chris noted, we're planning to keep as many trees as possible um, to provide additional buffering and screening between the uses. Now, Aaron, I know you're not a surveyor, but would we say that's more than 100 feet from the residences? I, I see my dear client, uh, Chris, nodding his head, so I'm going to go with yes. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. And Chris, I saw on one of your slides there was a, a reference to NFPA 855. Is that something that you all adhere to, the current version? I know sometimes I think we heard from um, Chief Johnson that Virginia is a bit behind some of those regulations. Is that something that you all stay pretty current with? Yeah, we're, we're very comfortable with following those, and that's kind of our best practice, that the minimum standards that we would we would do. And we know that it is evolving to, again, reflect new, and that's kind of our preferences to mimic an evolving, uh, again, accreditation, basically, or code. So we're very comfortable with following that. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Moderati. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, Chris, can you give us an idea about the safety record of this kind of facilities, um, some stats like either Econor or the whole industry, um, what kind of things happen in terms of safety? Yeah, so Equinor has not in itself developed any of these. That's why it purchased uh, East Point, who is again developing. We have, again, a number of that we don't operate, but that we help design that are functioning and have not any safety issues uh, under, again, our development. 
uh, throughout the United States and, and the world. Uh, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of these now operational. You do have uh, fires, and, and they uh, have come on. Uh, probably the most, I think, famous one might be in 2019, where some firefighters in Arizona were injured when they opened some doors to check and clear one of the enclosures that there was no humans involved and, and there was an explosion and they are injured by that. Uh, again, the industry is fast evolving and learn from that. And now, again, all the enclosures that are built do not allow anybody to have space to occupy that. So the firefighters do not, are not required, and this is part of this NFPA 855, don't have to get access to it and basically can, kind of the standard practice now is if the ha fire happens again after all those mitigation safety measures that we have, to basically secure the perimeter and hose that down and protect the area and let the batteries burn themselves out. And they're all designed to basically self-contain and burn out. Uh, and so then you just have one module that's done and you haul that away and bring in a new one. Uh, so these are, I would just say again, the batteries that go in these are a little bit different also than, again, you do hear about lithium-ion batteries, let's say for e-scooters or, or e-bikes in New York City, for example, catching on fire and causing problems. A lot of those are because the, those batteries are not certified and not coming from quality establishment factories. Obviously, with the, the batteries that we put into ours, they're going to go through very rigorous quality controls just because of how expensive our projects are and our insurance, too. So um, in New York, there was, I think, a couple fires this last summer. But what we're dealing with is, I would say, an evolving industry that, again, is is learning and from those and, and putting in new safety control checks. And these are less than 1% of the total op units operating, so. Thank you. Uh, that's exactly why I'm asking that question is mm -hmm. because you're evolving industry. Um, again, just say in layman terms, is the battery fires are different from any other kind of fires? Yeah. Uh, do they spread fast? Do they, yeah. what happens there? So, right. Uh, a lot of there's been a lot of analysis on these and air con air control and monitoring when these things happen. Uh, now again, the the standard practice is kind of sit back and let them burn. The existing science and reports that have come back from the most recent ones, there's basically it's like a house fire. So uh, that's the type of smoke or, or pollution that's going up and potentially uh, harming the immediate area. Uh, so again, but that's that's basically it. And then everything else is like self-contained in that container. Then again, regarding um, potential runoff into the, the ground or something like that. Does, um, my last question on the same thing. Go ahead. Does it produce anything toxic when it burns and? Sorry, can you repeat that? It, does it like emit any kind of a toxic gases and stuff? Uh, because again, the neighborhood is so close. Yeah, right. No, uh, again, it is, there's no caustic gases from the monitoring that's been done on the most recent fires. It is, and these have been, been tested through these, again, other fire prevention kind of um, worst case scenarios that the, sorry, the battery producers have to go through. Uh, it is basically like plastic basically be cut, catching on fire or other kind of materials they would find in a normal household. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Hayes. Good evening. Hey, Aaron. Quick. Commissioner Hayes. Randy, quick question for you guys. Um, so I, I heard uh, Vice Chair Combs talk about some houses to the north, but Red Cedar is to the south of um, the site. So can you tell me 
your um, best guess of the nearest homes uh, in Red Cedar to the site across on the other side of uh, Evergreens Mill? So Randy and I were doing a little bit of back of the envelope, uh, non-licensed uh, engineering. And mm -hmm. Randy, I think you had a... Sure. Um, given that my um, child went to Loudoun Country Day School <laughs> over in the corner of Red yeah. Cedar, I know it well, as does Commissioner Miller. Mm -hmm. um, the area that is um, uh, shown in, in woods, I believe it was called the Big Woods as a part of the, um, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the Red Cedar rezoning. Mm -hmm. And I think that's owned by the county. It's a potential mm -hmm. park. Um, and so there's, there's not going to be any homes uh, under current zoning in that area that says Red Cedar. That's the big woods. So the, the closest Red Cedar uh, uh, home, Commissioner Hayes, you would go up to Red Cedar Drive, you'd take a right, you would drive past Loudoun Country Day School on your left, mm -hmm. and then up at the top of the hill on your left would be the closest home. Um, using my scouting uh, uh, a guesstimation, I'd say it's about 1,500 feet. So if you <clears throat> follow Evergreen Mills up to the to the right of the screen. Yeah, Red Cedar one, Drive. One yeah, north and make a right, if yeah. I'm looking at that screen, up right into the corner, that's uh, Loudoun Country Day. Yeah, that's correct. You can kind of see the uh, a small piece of yep. the school, Commissioner Hayes, up in the yep. corner. And if you drive past that, mm -hmm. um, you're going up a hill, there are some um, red cedar lots at the very top of that hill. Mm -hmm. So, and I think we got at this a little bit with um, Commissioner Moderetti. Um, what have you heard from uh, the fire department in terms of their ability to get to the site uh, in the event of a fire? So uh, the response time for uh, this. No, I'm sorry. Not response. I'm, I apologize for interrupting. I didn't mean response time. I mean their ability to get their apparatus in position. Like you know, for example, we talk about being able to the enough room for the fire trucks to position themselves and have access to water, et cetera. Sure, that's part of the reason that we had a site visit, um, and that goes back to, I think, Commissioner Miller's question. Um, so there have been no concerns about um, the orientation of the site or um, access to the site being insufficient. Um, and then again, um, the fire marshal's office does not have concerns about access to um, pressurized water uh, in this location either. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're comfortable. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I could also add to that. So I, I was able to use our, our online tool to do a yeah. calculation. It's around 320 feet to the property from the hydrant itself, and 500 to the very like uh, to the very rear of the property. So it's around 500 feet from the hydrant itself to for it to stretch all the way out there, uh, and then. To go back to your question in regards to the nearest home mm -hmm. on the other side of the road, it's around 2,300 feet away from the mm -hmm. property, which is around half a mile or so from the property in question. Do you also know how far the school is? Yep. I that looks much closer than the nearest home. Yep, that is around what? Uh, the applicant says it's around 1,800 square, not square feet. It's around 1,800 feet away, which is 0.36 of a 
mile. Now, 500 feet seems, is, is that a long distance for a hydrant or a water source to no. be um, for a fire engine to reach? It's, it's my understanding from speaking with staff and with Commissioner Miller, uh, who uh, has asked a lot of questions about this to his absolute credit, um, that 3,000 square feet is really kind of the maximum. Linear feet. Uh, I mean, yeah, linear feet. The fire, the fire marshal, fire, fire chief has said to me that the reason I said 3,000 feet was because the fire marshal said, the fire chief has said to me, to put out a fire, they need it has to be within 3,000 feet of a pressurized water source, which is a fire hydrant. The reason it's 3,000 feet is because they can connect up with three hoses together, and hoses are 1,000 feet long. Yeah, okay. So 500 feet is less than one hose. Yeah, okay. All right, and then I know, so, so did I hear you say, sir, I, I, what is your name again? I'm, I apologize. Uh, Chris, sir, can you use your mic on? Sorry, it's hard to hear you. I'm sorry, I didn't have it up. <laughs> um, Last question. I, I thought I heard you say to Commissioner Moderetti that you designed the facility, but you're not the operator. Is that true? Correct. The, the, the sites are designed to be remotely monitored. Remotely monitored. Okay. Correct. So there, there is not a staff person on site. If there were to be an emergency, there is someone that can usually respond within an hour or two, again, to assist emergency responders. Okay. But they can be turned off, basically, from your computer somewhere else. The, and I know you mentioned having multiple uh, similar facilities uh, assumed throughout the United States. Um, are the other ones, or do you have similar facilities in uh, neighborhoods or in residential areas near schools as well? Yeah, so, so this technology is being deployed uh, in a lot of different land uses types. Um, some are in New York City in buildings. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a different type of structure and different type of safety mm -hmm. kind of mechanisms and requirements that are, are there. So mm -hmm. this is the same technology that if you have an electric vehicle that is being parked in your garage, again, okay. at least with a lithium-ion battery, right? And so, or Powerwall, Tesla Powerwall mm -hmm. battery in your garage. So mm -hmm. it's just scaled up, and I would say ours are even safer because they're even more monitored <laughs> uh, okay. and, and tested beforehand. So okay. uh, in as much, yes, we are developing sites that are adjacent to residential properties also with the appropriate amount of setbacks. I'm glad I asked that extra question because the, uh, the image of the, uh, the use being in a high-rise building in New York or being similar to a power station in a, I guess, in a uh, parking lot, uh, casts a different light on it. Is okay. that is that is that a fair comparison? Uh, yeah, I would say that's a fair comparison. Now let me lead you now. Am I? <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I, I would just say that these things are being deployed in mm -hmm. in again, at different scales, mm -hmm. right? But some of them at very large scales in highly dense urban areas, just because they're necessary. To yeah, I'm just talking about from an impact standpoint. Now, I know this is scaled up. It's not, right. you know, like something in the parking lot where you plug in your car, but with the green infrastructure bill, we're scaling all these things up, and this seems like it's an example of it. Yes, these are, again, types of projects as we scale the renewable energy on, on our grid that are necessary to help basically maintain the grid resiliency and make that power, types of power work. So our power generation work better. 
Okay, thank you for the education. Thank you. Commissioner Kirchner. Thank you. Thank you. I continue the um, question on the safety aspect of this. So you're saying it's similar to a um, electric car battery, but it, how many? How much larger? I mean, how many? How much? How many times larger than an electric car battery are these? Well, so your let's say your average size Tesla is a 75 kilowatt hour battery, okay, and we're talking. 40 megawatt, 40,000 megawatt hours. So, I mean, they're, they're much, this is a battery though for the electricity grid. Again, that again needs to serve yeah. 30,000 homes. Uh, so yeah, because it's so much bigger. Yeah, we're, so my concern goes to, you know, if there is a fire, um, what's going to be, uh, go out into the atmosphere and also when it's put out, it's gonna go back down into the soil and, and ultimately into the right. water supply. I'm just, just looked on here, Googled a couple things that, uh, about lithium batteries, and it's looking like there's heavy metals and then manganese, uh, manganese and cobalt and, um, you know, some references here to, you know, toxic pollution um, emitted into the air if in the event that there is a fire. So, I mean, what kind of information can you give us about that from your perspective? Again, what I, I can tell you is the air monitoring that's been done, if you look up the most recent fires uh, and the air monitoring that's been done is that they don't consider anything to be a public health uh, risk. So that's coming from, again, the re emergency response uh, authorities. I mean, our understanding, again, is it's basically kind of basically like a house fire is the type of uh, emissions that are happening uh, from these types of fires. That's many times, you know, because I know we've had, I mean, we have had car batteries create fires at homes, but it's how many times greater, like? Well, I would say yeah, you could, to go with that, yes, you could have a car battery, you could have a lot of things, like, again, a battery for a scooter cause a fire right. in a home, right? These things are not, though, also constructed and engineered in an enclosure that is meant to contain these fires and properly deal with them and release that. So you know, in as much, yes, that happens, there's also these, again, projects and the modules that they are, and it's not all 40,000 megawatt batteries. They're, they're kept in separate enclosures that actually are separated in each enclosure also to, again, to minimize that, that fire that potential risk. And it's, you would not have that, and this is what you'll see also is all of the enclosures going up in fire at one time. Right. Again, they're separated in order to, and if that does happen, to minimize the amount and ensure that there's no spreading of it. Right, and since they're um, remotely monitored, uh, if there was a fire, then just would be um, dependent upon our responders getting there. And it looks like it was eight minutes, I think, is what, what I saw in that card, the staff report. Yeah. Well, Correct. I think it was a three to four minute response time from the nearest station was what they... I it was eight minutes to get there. I, don't know. I, <coughs> I think it said eight minutes, but that's consistent with other response time response times throughout the county. And Ms. Krishna, they all, we also disapproved a commission permit for Building the fire, fire station. station. 6,000 feet away. About 6,000 feet away. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Great. Thank you. Commissioner Barnes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, what is this area... Uh, zone for 
It's the AR1 zoning district. Okay. It's not industrial or anything like that? No. All right. I have seen some uh, news pictures when there was a flood in Florida. A uh, hurricane came in and was all flood, and I saw a car, Tesla car, going through the water, and it caught fire. And the fire department came there, and they were squirting the water on it. It does, did not extinguish it. They, they were unsuccessful in killing the fire because that's not what you use, I heard. Uh, the water is not the fire retardant for the battery fires. So it's, they got to use something other than water. And uh, we are talking about water uh, place and water this. And, uh, it, actually, uh, water doesn't do any good to it, uh, retarding the fire, electric fire. And uh, uh, they had to equip. And finally, the cars saw it completely burn up. They couldn't do anything because they were just squirting water on it, and there was the end of it. And cars gone. Uh, but there's a lot of fume coming up and a lot of... Uh, Firefighters uh, were hurt inhaling this, uh, the, the fumes or whatever it comes out of it, burning, uh, were hurt. Uh, so I, I have seen that on, on the news. Um, that's what I'm talking about, watching news. And, and the Tesla was kept on burning, and they kept on putting the water on it, and the car completely burned down. Uh, so, and that's why they even tell you in the garage, don't put your car in there while you're charging it or even charge battery car in the, inside the garage. But they can catch fire anytime they want to, I don't know. Uh, so, and this is AR1, and it, it's allowed AR1 build homes around it on one acre lot. That's what it's owned for. Uh, so, uh, People might not be trying to build houses around it. Uh, if you put that uh, thing in this area, I think this thing belongs in an industrial park where most of it is all uh, industrial rather than neighbors. Uh, and I have talked to the fire uh, people, and they said the water doesn't kill the battery fire. Uh, so, and you'd be talking about the water, how much pressure and how much that. Uh, it might be not the uh, stuff that we might be have to use it on on these things. So that's what my concern, and I, it's too close to, as far as I'm concerned, too close to the residential homes because all AR1, I mean, it's the future. If they don't have it now, they're going to build it there. Uh, so this will stop them from building it or whatever. If they do build it, it's very close to it because that's what I was looking at, the map you put out here. Uh, so uh, I think it's a, I, I am for battery storage place, uh, but I am for a right place uh, to have it rather than a residential, uh, agricultural resi residential area, AR1s. So that's the way I look at it because fire retardant is different for battery, electric fires. So, sir, and Thank you for your, your comment, Mr. Barnes, or Commissioner Barnes, sorry. I would say agree that the water you want to have available is to ensure that if there happens to be a fire that is not spread to the, the neighboring, and so you have fire suppression available to wet down, again, the adjacent areas, ensure it doesn't spread. You're very correct on trying to put out the fire with water would not work. 
uh, again, it has to pretty much burn out its own energy. I would gently push back on you, sir, that the firefighters had some kind of inhalation issue uh, from that fire in, in Florida. Um, I also say it's a different type of, well, it's the same type of potential battery chemistry, sir. But uh, again, it's a little bit apples to oranges. I would say that Tesla fire versus what we're trying to do again with our battery energy storage system. And finally, I'll just comment. I think our side is right next to the solid landfill there, sir. I think you have a prior, I, I would generally push back that you have a more probability of a, a fire happening at the landfill there than from our project. Thank you. Sorry, Commissioner Burns, I just also wanted to add, um, directly to our south is a utility substation. Um, so we're in keeping with the uses that are already in the area. Okay. <clears throat> All right, at this time, no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. We are jumping around to like six different scripts here tonight. I apologize. Um, at this time, we will open the public hearing. I do not have anyone signed up to speak in person or online. Is there anyone present in the room who would like to speak on this item? Seeing none, do we have anyone online joining us? No one is online. Thank you very much. All right. We will go ahead and uh, close the public hearing then. Uh, commissioners, I'd like to entertain a motion. I believe we're in the Catoctin District again. Mr. Miller. Thank you. I move the Planning Commission approve Legi 2023-0082 Evergreen Energy Center CMPT 2023-0008 subject to commission permit plat dated November 8, 2023 and based on the findings for approval provided as attachments 1 and 2 to the November 28, 2023 Planning Commission Public Hearing Staff Report and forward to the Board of Supervisors for ratification. Second. Motion is made by Commissioner Miller, seconded by Vice Chair Combs. Mr. Miller, do you have an opening? I do. Um, I um, very much support battery energy storage. Um, it is an outstanding uh, opportunity for Loudoun County to be a leader in um, in the coming years. Um, in fact, the state has uh, essentially requested, suggested, mandated that um, Virginia go to um, 3,000 megawatts of battery energy storage and Loudoun County is well positioned right now to accommodate at least a thousand of those megawatts. Um, rest of the state is actually looking to us to see what we do with battery energy storage so they can model that for the rest of the state. Um, the issue that I had here, and the reason I questioned it about um, water, is as um, the applicant has stated, um, part of um, the national standard of practice for outdoor rural um, utility scale battery energy storage if they catch fire is to let it burn and um, in the many hours of meetings I've had with industry and um, uh, Chief Johnson and, and Vice Chair Combs sat in on many of those meetings um, discussing this for the zoning ordinance rewrite um, one thing that Chief Johnson was clear to say is while let it burn may be a national strategy it is by no means ever going to be a policy for him in Loudoun County. And to that end, I will um, very rarely, if ever, disagree with the man that runs into burning buildings to protect my family and I. 
Um, so that is why it was important to me to know that um, water was nearby. Um, I did know water was nearby. I know the pump station is there. I know the fire engine is there. I know that Loudoun Country Day School is um, 2,200 feet away. I know the other houses are 350 feet to the nearest structure from the center of this property. Um, I drive by uh, this site approximately 137 times a day. Um, I know it extremely well. This is where I live. This is what I, I deal with. Um, but I also will not go against the chief when it comes to water to put fires out. Um, and so as long as that issue was resolved, which I knew it would be, um, then I am uh, pleased to welcome, hopefully welcome this um, applicant to Loudoun County so we can get ourselves on our way to 1,000 megawatts of battery energy storage. I hope all of you will support it as well. Thank you. Any other questions on the motion or comments on the motion from the commission? Commissioner Moderati. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, initially, I was hesitant to actually support this application um, because some of the safety concerns I had. Um, but listening to Chris about placing some of this in City Lakes, New York, safely um, makes me a comfort level to actually support uh, um, Commissioner Miller's um, motion. Thank you. Commissioner Hayes. Um, you know, I think that there has been some compelling testimony tonight about, you know, that may have made me feel a little bit easier about hazards, potential hazards as it relates to fire. Um, however, um, I do still, and I didn't bring it up, but, you know, my good friend, uh, Commissioner Kirshner, as I knew she would, brought up issues related to how there may be some impacts on the environment. Um, I don't, uh, if you've provided some, I don't, I haven't seen adequate data or science to support whether or not a burning fire related to these batteries would or would not impact the environment given the chemicals that are um, present in the batteries themselves. Um, I don't think that it is a, a viable and necessary alternative to uh, clean energy like solar. Um, I do agree with Commissioner Miller that we need to ramp up and scale up in terms of alter alternative energy sources in the county. I don't think that we've exploited solar and other clean energy sources uh, nearly to capacity and I don't see any reason to start to diversify into areas that we don't completely understand. So for those reasons, I will uh, not support the motion. Commissioner Kirchner. Thank you, yes, um, I'm very much in support of renewable energy. Um, in fact, I work in an industry that is very supportive of renewable, or a field that's very supportive of renewable energy. Um, but I'm concerned uh, because some of the things that I did bring up about the, the safety concerns, about the heavy metals and the chemicals, um, and I think I heard correctly that if there is a fire, that the water that would be used would not be used to, be, to put out the fire. The water would be used to spray around the, the surrounding neighborhood to make sure the fire doesn't spread to the surrounding neighborhood. Uh, you, still would have to, it, it, you still would have to have the chemicals 
to put out the fire or letting it burn, uh, burn out and uh, the emission of uh, the uh, pollution that would come from the heavy metals that are burning there. So I, you know, I, I think this possibly might be an appropriate use in another part of the county and maybe when we know a little more and have sort of, uh, I mean, I just feel like we are not ready uh, to, to make a decision on something like this. It seems like a lot of um, unanswered questions about safety um, and particularly uh, the proximity to homes and the school. Um, so I, unfortunately, even though like I said, I'm, I'm very supportive of renewable energy, I think this is not the right move for us at this time, so I, I can't support. Vice Chair Combs. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Just to remind everyone, we are on a commission permit application here, which is um, obligating us to, to, to attempt to analyze the application through the lens of the, the comp plan. And we, as a zoning commission, spent a bit of time during the zoning ordinance rewrite, um, as Mark Miller alluded to, and in conjunction with Chief Johnson and his staff, really trying to sweat details about development standards, um, real fire, you know, really stringent fire safety standards. And it, um, it sounds to me like the applicant is already ahead of, I think, where we were in working with um, LCFR, who had to really get on a fast track learning curve to, to get familiar with those standards. And um, I would implore you to continue working with them um, and really trying to adhere to all of those. We don't have the benefit of those standards to apply here in this application because this is a commission permit. Um, but given what we've heard tonight um, from the applicant, given the proximity to water, knowing Chief Johnson's comfort level with that, um, I'm, uh, I'm happy to support this application. Okay, I see no, up. Oh, Commissioner Hayes. Oh no, you're waiting to vote. Oh, go ahead. I'll just, I'm, I'm going to make a statement. This is not in rebuttal to anything. But um, I know that we're here to consider a, um, a permit, but I feel strongly that we can't make a decision based only on whether or not the fire chief and our staff have concluded if fire is a danger or not because environmental concerns are a danger as well, which is why other kinds of um, developments and development activities like acquisition of a former gas station are heavily studied with uh, phase two um, assessments and you, know, you have to do mitigation and removing the tanks, et cetera, et cetera, for you know, not the same exact reasons, but for the same exact methodology, right? So we can't ignore whether or not something like that could or could not be a factor if we're going to issue a permit, right? So I'm just cautioning my colleagues that I'm not suggesting, I have no way of knowing if that sort of an impact could occur but the information is not available to say that it cannot. So I'm not coming down against the use or the project. I'm coming down against the motion 
because there's information that is not available. Commissioner Miller, do you have a closing? I do. Um, I'll speak to the um, safety issue. One of the um, people that uh, sat in on the meetings with us, uh, with Chief Johnson and staff, um, was a guy named Noah Ryder, who um, is one of the principal authors of these standards. Um, Noah actually has a PhD in putting out fires. I'm like legitimately from the University of Maryland, which is one of the leading fire um, safety programs in the country, um, who wrote these standards. Um, the, the, we, there's been rapid progression in the safety of these facilities um, in the battery types. Um, the, the Arizona fire was not, many would suggest that it was not caused by the batteries themselves, it was caused by negligence in the construction of the facility. Um, and that was a different scenario. Um, even then, um, no lives were lost and, and all reports were that there was no um, uh, suggestion of, uh, of toxins in the air. Um, these are very well contained, very safe facilities. Um, what they are doing is allowing for the, the balance of the electrical grid associated with the um, adjoining um, substation to help moderate and modulate when um, power is needed, extra power is needed to support um, uh, you know, everyone using their, their, their ovens for Thanksgiving or wherever the, the extra um, power might need, needs might come from helps to even that out. And of course, with all the data centers we have here and all the power lines that we're dreading seeing coming up, having a thousand megawatts of battery storage in Loudoun County is going to help reduce those issues as well. Um, the safety has, has long been considered. Um, these are safe sites. Uh, while the fire water is to, is to prevent spread, um, fire departments have other mechanisms of putting out fires than just water. Um, and I am sure that this one does as well, much like at airports. Um, when, an air, when an airplane crashes and fuel gets, goes all over the place, there's, there's toxins there too, but we're still getting on airplanes and we're not approving, we're not dis, disapproving a, a fifth runway at Dulles Airport. Um, this is a safe project. This is a good project. This is a start of um, the future of what we're going to do in Loudoun County. And oh, by the way, um, we approved one of these in Western Loudoun last year. So this commission did. So um, the only thing that's changed since then is we have more information and things have gotten better. Um, we know more about how we're doing these things and why we're doing them. And I think this is a, um, an example of that. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Miller. We have a motion on the table. Do we have all those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Nay. Nay. Do I have two or three? Did I have a nay? Mr. Barnes, were you a? Nay. You're nay. Okay. So I believe I had three nays, unless you, Mr. Vance, were also a nay. No. No. Okay. So we are 6-3. The motion passes with Commissioners Kirchner, Barnes, and Hayes opposed. Thank you very much, all. We'll move to the last item on our agenda, our returning public hearing item. Uh, again, going to remind all applicants that this is a returning item and that we will call you to the table if we need you during our questions. And uh, before I forget, Nick, thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you back. Well done. Um, all right, we will, um, we will bring the applicant up if and when we have questions. In the meantime, we are ready. Marshall, do you, uh, we're ready when you are for your presentation.
One moment, please. Sorry about that, I am ready. Okay, good evening, Planning Commission. My name is Marshall Brown with the Department of Planning and Zoning, and I'm here to present the returning item for Innovation Gateway, Legi 2023-27. Since this is a returning item, I will um, skip over the initial application portion of this and go to updates. Again, to uh, remind the Commission, this site is located in the Broad Run 20 election, 2011 Election District and the Sterling 2022 Election District. It is east of Route 28 and south of Old Ox Road and is in the urban transit center place type. Again, I will skip through these and move to updates. This is the updated uh, CDP. It is largely similar to what the commission saw last time this was at a public hearing. In terms of updates, uh, the applicant has specified that there will be 40,000 square feet of office use within each data center, 80,000 square feet total. Uh, they are proffering not to construct a substation on the property without a ZCPA. They've re uh, refined the data center design standards, including clarifications on mechanical screening and the noise study. They have updated residential design proffers and provided additional detail for ground level building design, as well as streetscape and open space amenities and clarified the quantities and dimensions of the amenities being provided. They have provided residential parking tabulations stating that there will be 600 total parking spaces, 465 by structured parking within the residential building and 215 uh, for surface parking. Again, there are 425 multifamily attached units being proposed. Uh, parking per unit type was not provided, but they will be required to meet the zoning ordinance at site plan. In terms of affordable housing, they have increased the quantity of the unmet housing needs units that they are providing from 6.25% to 8%. This results in six additional uh, UNUs. And in terms of natural resources, they have provided additional detail about the size, species, composition, um, and locations for the proposed arboretum and pollinator gardens, as well as street tree standards. Uh, they have stated that the Shaw Road improvements, including turn lanes at Old Ox Road and Shaw Road, will be completed prior to the issuance of the first occupancy permit. So this is essentially front-loading the improvements before uh, the data centers are constructed in Lembe 2. They are now proffering to continue the non-residential contribution, which was originally proffered with Dulles 2000. That's uh, ZMAP 1987-31. Escalated for current dollars, it's $248,327.39. Um, and the credit request against regional roads for Shaw Road improvements has been reduced to 50% from 73%, uh, and it is against capital facilities contributions and regional roads contributions for all market rate units and UNUs above 60% AMI. The way the proffers are structured for the UNUs right now, 50% are for 60% AMI and below, and 80% AMI. So this essentially means that uh, they are requesting credit against the UNUs for half of the UNUs. In terms of the outstanding issues, several of the outstanding issues that were previously identified in the uh, last time this was before the public, uh, before the commission, 
uh, remain the same. Essentially, land use and compatibility, as well as the specs request to increase FAR and the Z mods to accommodate uh, changes to the PDOP and PDTC zoning districts, those have not changed. They are still outstanding issues identified as before. Other issues that were identified previously, including transportation and capital facilities and administration of the proffers, um, are still outstanding issues, though with revisions provided in the latest submission, they have been modified or changed, but they still remain outstanding. So again, what I mean by that is uh, the Shaw Road credit request, for example, was reduced by 23%. However, staff can still not support the credit request, which is a conflict with the 2019 countywide transportation plan. Uh, in terms of regional road and transit contributions, as well as <coughs> capital facilities contributions, they are not providing contributions for UNUs uh, intended to serve 60% uh, area median income or higher. So again, that's 50% of the UNUs they are not providing those contributions for. Staff has identified new outstanding issues with the resubmission, and I will run through some of those relatively quickly. In terms of land use, as the applicant is now specifying 80,000 square feet of office use within the 700,000 square feet of data center use, um, the applicant should clarify that this is intended to support the data center use. While office use is a core use in the place type and, and not a concern of staff, um, staff's concern is essentially to clarify that the office use is uh, accessory to the data center. We have had conversations with the applicant and that does seem to be the case. However, if it is going to be specified as such, the staff is recommending that they um, ensure that the traffic generation does not exceed what is in the TIS for AM and peak trips, AM and PM peak trips. And this is due to the fact, of course, that office use as a, has a higher traffic generation than data center use. So the concern is that many of the assumptions that are predicated on data center use um, would have to change if this were to serve other office users. Um, the applicant is proffering that substation use will not be um, built on site unless the ZCPA is um, heard by the Planning Commission and the Board. The PDOP district does not implement the place type, nor does that use, uh, is that use consistent in the place type. So staff is uh, recommending that if they intend to proffer out that use and not build it on site to explicitly proffer the use out. Uh, there is another issue that I would like to bring to the Commission's attention, which was uh, raised in the staff report for the initial public hearing. However, after more discussion and clarification with the applicant, it's uh, being raised as a uh, separate issue. The applicant needs to provide a 20-foot Type B buffer in Land Bay 1 and a 25-foot Type C buffer on Land Bay 2 between the two uses. Uh, right now, According to staff's analysis, they do not have the buffer width to accommodate that buffer, so uh, a Z-mod would be needed if they're in intending to modify what the zoning ordinance requires. We do not have that Z-mod at this time. And again, administration of the proffers remains an outstanding issue. The phasing is not clearly depicted on the CDP and is not described in sufficient detail in the proffers. There are other proffers concerning the shuttle service, bus stop and shelters, interparcel connections and burial of transmission lines that need clarification or revision and other technical revisions to correct inaccurate inaccuracies or to revise timing triggers for construction of amenities. Um, these are expanded upon further in the staff memorandum and in the attachments uh, that have staff, uh, staff analysis. 
due to the outstanding issues, um, staff is continuing to recommend that the Planning Commission forward a recommendation of denial based on these outstanding issues listed here, but also expanded upon further in the staff report. I'm happy to uh, take any questions you may have. Thank you, Marshall. <laughs> I'm not seeing lights. I'm seeing, I'm seeing <laughs> exasperation. Okay, any questions from the commission? Commissioner Kircher. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Yes, I have a question about um, the distance between the um, data centers slash office now and the residential building. Um, so, I, because I had a call with the uh, applicant and they were telling me that they made a revision and that um, the distance between the two now is, it, is, is much greater than what it was in the original submission. Do you, can you shed any light on that? That is not a submission that staff has analyzed. So the CDP that we have, which is in your packet, right. uh, is what's on the screen. And I measured that earlier today from the edge of the data center building to the multifamily attached was about 79 feet. So if they have made a revision, we have not had an opportunity to review that. Okay. And what? And right now, what is our requirement for the distance from uh, a uh, data center to a residential area? Uh, it would it would vary based on um, zoning district and the exact layout. I'd have to kind of dig into that up. to give you a little bit more information. Um, but as it stands right now, <clears throat> with some of the Z mods to reduce the parking yards, again that um, the landscape buffer in itself, which is would be 45 feet in total, 20 feet on one side, 25 feet on the other, is not being met. Uh, so, so that okay, so that so the 45 feet. Between that would those be those two of a, of a landscape buffer is not being met, and that's exclusive of any parking or drive aisles or anything, right? That's correct. Right now, um, the distance between uh, the distance for the buffer is about 26 feet total. It's 26 now. Yes, that's and you're correct. saying that it has to be at 45. least 45, unless modified. Unless modified, unless they put in a modification. That's correct. Which would have to be advertised, and um, the commission would have to hear that as well. Right. Okay. And then. Um, also, I noticed in, well, okay, I think maybe I'll wait, uh, maybe if I can come back again, if I have some other questions. Thank you. Okay, Commissioner Miller. <clears throat> How do we distinguish between an office building and the data center building? I mean, what, what constitutes, if the, if, if the physical structure that we all find to be attractive for whatever reason, what determines whether it's an office building or a data center? I mean, all office buildings can have data in them and all data centers can have office space in them. Certainly. So, At what point does it, if this were an office building, it would conform with the plan and everything would be fine. So at what point do we say something's in data center versus an office building? My answer as planning staff is that those are different use categories in the zoning ordinance. So they've applied for a data center. It is data center. Office use is is accepted as an accessory use, and I, I believe the 80,000 square feet that they're proposing will be accessory, which means that essentially from a zoning perspective, it's a data center use. So if, if a data center um, applicant came in and said, We're, we want to build an office building and just put servers inside of it, nothing we can, we'd like, okay, fine, you build an office building, if, if, right? I, I guess, is it? I believe we would find out one way or another that it's a data center rather than an office. <laughs> right, I, I, I gather, but I guess my, my, my larger point is what triggers something 
being a data center versus being an office? Is it the percentage of, of is it the number of the, the, the volume of the building that's occupied by servers that are controlled by other people? Is it the number of people th that can work in the building in, in an office capacity? Is there something that tells us the difference between the two? Other than, you know, there are different performance standards that are attached to it. I believe I get what you're saying. It looks like an office building, but right. it does not function as one. I mean, there are different assumptions with each use. For instance, the traffic generation is much higher with an office building than with a data center. So yes, function differently, and then we would expect different performance standards for those uses. Yes, except for the, um, there's a five-story office building along the, the, the um, toll road in Fairfax. And I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying in general, there's a five-story office building on the, on the toll road in Fairfax that I drive past quite frequently that has zero traffic generation for the 10 years the building's been standing because at night when you drive by and the lights are on, you can see that there's nothing but cold shells on all five floors. So I, I, it's just a, so, and I'm not, I'm not picking on you. I'm, this is more an existential question as to where, where are we getting at with essentially form-based zoning. So if visually outside we cannot distinguish between the two, that's fine. It's what goes along with it. The generators, the outdoor okay. storage, the parking requirements, all that will have an impact on how the site is laid out in addition to that structure which may be indistinguishable between uses. Okay, that's a better answer, that, that I like. Okay, I will so also note we've not had any issue with the data center design standards with this application. Right, because they're above and beyond things that we've seen in the past, which is one of the things we told them to do back in September. Okay, all right, that's it for now. Vice Chair Combs. Thank you, Madam Chair. It's just to piggyback off of Commissioner <coughs> Miller. To me, it is a, it's a very intriguing question. I mean, if, if this data center has no issue with the data center standards and it looks like an office and it has a designated 80,000 square feet of, of office use, it's, it's, it's moving things a lot farther along than, say, the Dulles 2000 application we had on the same site. And when we're at the fringe of the UTC, I see in the comp plan, the UTC place type really speaks to um, a metro station within, you know, being within a quarter mile of a metro station, um, really being the sort of the core. And we're at this site a mile plus from the metro station. So we're at a fringe and, and office use being a, a real kind of core use um, within the UTC and we've got something, a proposed use that's a hybrid data center kind of office on the fringe. It, it's just, it's a very different conversation than we've had about data centers and their adjacency to residential. We also focused a lot on our conversation previously at the Planning Commission on adjacency to residential really in, in, um, in the context of these are single family detached residents. Um, communities being adjacent to, to data center and and here we've got two buildings that look somewhat similar so I I think we've got different noise attenuation opportunities we've got different things to consider on that proximity than I think we have considered elsewhere um, academically with this the zoning ordinance and in, in other applications so I'm intrigued by what Commissioner Miller is is um, I guess where he's going with his, his questioning, and I 
think it certainly merits um, more consideration from us. Um, question for staff with respect to the, the 80,000 square feet of office. Um, at what point at what point does the office stop being accessory to the data center use and then vice versa? Would it have to be a, sort of a predominance? So meaning it 51 percent, 49 another or something like that? I believe the zoning ordinance states clearly subordinate to the principal use. Okay. And in this case, it would be if, if we're considering 700,000 square feet total and 80,000 of that is office. Well, that one's measurable, but yeah, yeah, okay. Thank you. Is the, can I, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Commissioner Merthier. No, 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 you're good. I'm intrigued. You read my mind. Go for it. Um, first, with the, the question, um, the phasing proposes the data centers first and the housing second. Is there a trigger for the housing at all? an obligation to do that housing at all in phase two? So right now the way it is set up, and we're referring to it as phase, but typically with a phase plan we would have a CDP page that would have phase one, this, these are the improvements, phase two. Um, right now the triggers are unclear. Um, I would have to look at the proffers to give you the exact trigger as to when residential is permitted, but it is after substantial completion of the data centers. Understood. So there's no obligation that, uh, that I find in the proffers to build a residential. That is something that we've identified as an issue, and that's one reason we've continued to raise phasing, is that it does appear that data centers could be built, and then there's no clear trigger to compel right. construction. I'll get back to that problem in a second. Where are the, uh, are they using battery storage for the, uh, instead of generators on this project? I would have to defer to the applicant. We don't know where the generators are located on this concept plan? They are. Are there generators identified on the concept plan? They are. Um, I believe they are behind, they're in the mechanical yards, which are uh, essentially between the two buildings. And how high is the wall between the two buildings? It should be 20 feet. 20 feet. Mistaken. And it, where is the air conditioning on those buildings? Do they identify, where, do they have rooftop air conditioning or? that I don't have an answer for. Okay. Why don't we... So just to get back to the conversation about how do you tell the difference between an office and a data center, generators, air conditioning, noise, and everything that has come up in other applications where residents have been close to those buildings. It's noise and it's storage and it's the appearance of the equipment yard and so on. So there is a pretty significant difference in my mind at least visually, but I think in a lot of ways, impact-wise, between this facility and that. I also wanted to ask about the ZCPA proffer. I mean, even if they proffer, we will not build a substation, a ZCPA could eliminate that proffer. So to me, that seems like a ridiculous comment to have in the proffers, unless the t county attorney suggests it's got some merit. I don't, I don't see the merit to it. I think a ZCPA would be used to change the existing proffer anyways. Exactly. Thank you. Um, the, 
I think that's all I have for now. Thank you. Can we ask the applicant questions? Pardon? Can we ask the applicant questions? Yes. Yeah, you may. If there's questions we need the applicant to answer, we'll bring them up and have them answer them. If you wouldn't mind. No, go ahead. Commissioner um, Miller, we'll go if, Tony, if ask the applicant to join us at the table. Thank you. Happy early winter, distinguished members of the commission. Delighted to be here this evening. Um, I want to get Commissioner Miller, whatever the app is, that uh, where the fire marshal can only talk via text and use that with my teenage daughters. Is there a way that I can just talk to them and I just have to read their text back? Um, there have been a number of questions already posed. There are a number of questions that were, um, I think, raised in the staff report. And I've had uh, deliberations, as many of you disclosed, with a number of you. If the chair will allow me. I have a PowerPoint. Mm. I won't call it a presentation. I'll call it answering questions, if that's helpful. But um, I think there are a slew that will be very beneficial to your deliberations. I'd like to continue taking questions. I suspect we'll get through most of it organically that way. Um, but we, okay. I, I, I'll candidly say I cringe to set that precedent since we have not been doing that since July with anybody, um, okay. thanks to the new rules Richmond gave us. So for now, if you need to reference chart eight or whatever, by all means, if Marshall has that and, and can pull it up, that's helpful. But um, go ahead, Mr. Miller, you had a specific okay. question. Let's yeah, um, go at it that way. I want to get to uh, the apartment complex, the multifamily building. Um, in our conversation we had, I guess, yesterday, we talked about um, uh, no phasing and, and maybe even tying um, occupancy of the data buildings to the um, multifamily construction. Um, I'm curious when Fairfield would want to actually start building the apartments um, in the hopes that this is this is not a, that someone's not shrinking Fairfield along, that they actually want to go and start building and how we can, what, what we can do to ensure that um, these do get built, not as some trigger per se, because of the marketplace demand, determines what the marketplace determines, but that there is little doubt that that given the economics of, of constructing multifamily buildings, as long as they're satisfactory to Fairfield, they will begin building the buildings. So two things, if I may, Marshall, could you pull up my slide 11? And I'm actually going to ask Trey Kirby, who's the regional head of, of Fairfield, to, to join me for just a minute. Commissioner Miller, uh, let me start out by saying that um, this is a very favorable uh, deal for Fairfield. I'll let Trey speak for himself in terms of his interest and desire to get started on this project. We don't have a specific proffer. But let me answer phasing while he gets warmed up and turns on his mic. Um, there are two types of phasing. One is the phasing of Shaw Road. And specifically, we talked for quite a bit when we were around the horseshoe at the end of September about doing two phases of Shaw Road. First, two lane undivided, tied with different, one data center, one residential, two data center. We've jettisoned all that. We've just said we're just going to build all four lanes undivided of Shaw Road uh, it's about a third of the length. It's three quarters of a mile from Old Ox all the way down to Innovation. We're building about a third of it. It's about $15.1 million. So we're going to do that up front, and that has to be open to traffic before um, occupancy, occupancy permit of any of the three buildings that are reflected here. So that phasing is gone. Um, and, and I think that goes a long way towards the infrastructure phasing. In terms of the data centers and the residential, uh, every indication, including as of about 45 minutes ago, 
um, is that we would start with the infrastructure for all three sites immediately. I'll let Trey speak for himself about the desirability of this site and his intention in terms of constructing it. All right, well, good evening, everybody. And Commissioner Miller, thanks for the question. And I think the, I mean, you know, we actively pursued this, this deal with, uh, with the Black Chamber Group you know, way back before this was submitted. Uh, th this location, this county, um, kind of the gateway from the north to, to sort of the, the transit core is, is important to us. You know, we, we're, we're sort of excited about being a catalyst um, for future development in this area. Um, and we're, you know, we're excited uh, to get started as quickly as we can. I think um, my expectation once the, the infrastructure is in place and once Shaw is, that's where the first phase of Shaw is reconstructed um, and built is that, you know, is that we're well along in our site plan um, at that point um, and that we would be moving to construction as quickly as we can. I think the, ex you know, the expectation um, is that the, the data center will probably move a little quicker through that process than we will, so they likely will uh, you know, will be a little bit ahead of us on the, on the, on the phasing piece, but that's not because we're, we're intentionally moving slow. Um, you know, we, we want to, again, to move as quickly as we can. Uh, there's been interest uh, at the corporate level from Fairfield uh, to construct ground-up development in Loudoun County for a long time. You know, we've had the pleasure of acquiring some assets in, in, uh, in Loudoun, but none from the ground-up perspective. And so um, you know, we're excited about the location. We look forward to moving forward as quickly as we can. Thank you. Okay. Um, on the data center construction, um, innovative, in, the innovative nature of the buildings to look more like traditional office space, um, and the comments that have come up about the differences are um, HVAC units on the roofs and equipment yards. Um, I drove noise. through what noise, noise, noises. Noises is, is interesting because I've I've walked through data centers and I believe. Um, Commissioner Hayes and I together um, went to visit a data center tour a couple years ago, and I remember walking the halls and not hearing anything, and then you open up the doors to where they let us into where all the servers are, and it's loud. But two feet beyond the, the walls, there was, in other words, sound is relative to the fact that you're living under um, flight patterns and runways. Um, so, but with, with the with the notion of the, um, the HVAC units and the equipment yards, um, I was off a relocation today, relocation drive in Pacific and, and Broderick and all those areas, so data center central. And I took some pictures as I was driving through at the top of the buildings, and um, I didn't really see a whole lot of air conditioning units because there were walls and stuff surrounding everything up there. And these buildings would be 100 feet high, am I correct? You are. And the, the multifamily building is 50? Uh, it'll be 55 feet on the front, so five stories, and then it'll taper uh, down. It'll be 65 feet on the back. Okay, so it's difficult to see from that direction looking up, but the yards themselves looking down into the yards. A yard's going to have um, generators. Um, you can't cover them, right, Tony? No. They have to be open air. Correct. Because of fires and safety and things of that nature. Um, they look like generators. Um, they don't look like half cubic yard um, garbage dump things, you know, receptacles. So I, I, I'm struggling with the notion that um, it's that hideous, so to speak, for an apartment complex that will be telling people when they walk in the door 
there's data centers coming behind us. No one's hiding this. This is not like the poor schnooks on um, Fleetwood that bought in a rezoned detached house backing up to um, a building you need, you need an act of Congress to get a Frisbee if it goes over the fence. Um, this is not that situation. This is an urban area. Um, so I, I'm, I, I'm struggling with how the, the yards themselves will impact the people in the apartment building. The, the rooftops, I'm, I, I don't see how they can see that, that angle. Um, noise, again, um, we, we approve housing construction in 60 to 65 LDN, and, and I can't imagine data center noise approaches that level at all. So um, let's start with this graphic, and I'll just rifle through a couple others. This gives you an accurate depiction of the 110 feet of the data centers, which are at the top, uh, 28 behind it. Um, as, as Trey just noted, the screen walls are actually 20 feet high. You can see where the enclosure area is. Let's go to the next slide. Marshall, this is, uh, if you're at the south, kind of looking toward the north. Would this help ref reflect, I, th I think, in part answer to your question, the data center is up to about 110 feet. Um, they're about a 10-foot uh, parapet wall. Any mechanical rooftop equipment is totally screened, both visually and to Mr. Marathew's question from a noise perspective, and I'll talk more about that in just a second. The office component, I'll return to that as well, is about 70 feet. So, uh, and as Trey noted, the residential on the back side, closer to the data centers, is 66 feet. On the front side, because of the grade, it's 55 feet. So you have the quintessential transition down in density from Route 28 to the left to Shaw Road to the east. The biggest noise problem that we have is not going to be the data centers. It's Route 28. Uh, I know several of you have, have been uh, at the site. We actually toured with Supervisor Glass. Uh, the noise from 28 and even to some extent from old ox is significant. The biggest noise attenuation measure will, will ironically be the data centers themselves. Uh, next slide. Um, just, a, just a close up again of kind of that transition. Gives you a sense of the distance. Ms. Kirshner, it's 186, almost 190 feet between the residential and the data centers. I'll come back to the buffer as well. Uh, next slide. This gives you the uh, uh, next one after this. That's a good depiction from the north. This is actually from the third floor balcony. Mr. Miller uh, looking toward the data center. I think that's the southern one. That's the office component. It's reflected there. Let me talk about that for just a second. Since it's only 10% about of the respective buildings, we specifically proposed to call out office. I'll be honest, uh, after the hearing on the 26th, two of the commissioners had the good point of, wait a minute, this isn't just data center. You guys have a significant office component as well. So we thought it would be uh, appropriate to emphasize that. In fact, we reconfigured the buildings. We shrunk the buildings a little bit, in part to address the buffer issue, which I'll return to in just a minute, and also to emphasize the office component. <coughs> There's now four major uses on this site. Data center, office, not a standalone, ancillary to data center, so it is data center in the terminology that we just discussed a few minutes ago. That's why we're not going to do a, a separate trip generation calculation. The densities, Mr. Miller, you pointed this out at the Planning Commission hearing. Densities of a typical higher density office is 200 square feet or so per person. We'll have 450 square feet or so per person. So this is not going to be a significant traffic generator. This is absolutely ancillary to the data centers, but it does give us a fourth use residential, and the community park. This gives you a good flavor for what the residents will see. Next one is up on the fifth floor 
Um, you also get a flavor, Mr. Merritt, you can see, if you will, part of the penthouse at the top. That screens all the mechanical equipment. N no one from the ground, no one from the fifth floor, uh, even of this uh, future apartment building, will be able to see anything on the top. I'm going to transition because there have been a number of questions about noise, so let's move to, sorry, I'm taking this in the best order I can, slide. I don't like the Virginia legislature. We have to go down and fix that damn legislation. Taking me all out of order. But it'll take a lot longer. Let's hit slide 32, please. So the buffer requirement, um, at, when we were here before the Planning Commission, frankly, we thought it was 25 feet. After a lot of deliberation with zoning, we, we understand it's 45 feet. Ms. Kirshner, as we discussed earlier today, revised CDP will have 45 feet. What we've done in the interim since the hearing is, again, shrink the data centers a little bit, move them slightly closer to 28, and that gives us the ability to meet the zoning ordinance requirement. We will proffer for the record to 45 feet, type C, type B. Next, next slide gives you a sense of that. Basically, on the data center side, there's 20 foot of uh, substantial buffer, 25 feet on the residential side with a uh, proposed six foot fence in between. Mr. Miller, this is helpful as well, I think, for your question, because what you see up at the top in the middle is um, the parking garage for the residential building. And therefore, um, it, the Trey's future residents, um, who might be able to look down, if you will, on the generator buildings will be to the side of both parking garages. And basically, you're gonna have to be on at least the third, maybe the fourth or fifth floor before you have that view. Interestingly to the phasing question, I didn't even know this, um, several of you have questioned uh, the concern about, well, will these residents know that they're gonna be data centers? Well, based on what Trey just said, in fact, the data centers are gonna start first. You're not gonna sign a lease in that future apartment building without being able to see either existing or under construction data centers. So there's, there's, there's no hiding of that. Next slide gets to noise mitigation. Actually, if you'll jump one more, I'll come back to this one. For noise mitigation, this was an issue raised by a number of uh, you and last we met this evening, Mr. Reddy, during our, our conversation. The data centers are gonna be the major noise attenuation, sound uh, attenuation. 20-foot screening walls. Each of the generators is actually individually enclosed and they're also behind 20-foot screening walls. Um, the residential parking area, as you can see in the bottom right, is the area that's closest, most proximate to the generators. The generators really aren't gonna run that much. Uh, then we have the 45-foot buffer. If you go back one slide to 34, in addition, um, the proffers are being revised to reflect each of these commitments, part of the record. We will have low noise fans. Mr. Marathy, this gets to the this gets to your question with regard to HVAC. It will be up on the roof. And that's where other prototypes, not these prototypes, have had a problem. So we have low noise emitting fans, the acoustical duct lining, the 20-foot screening walls. Each generator will be enclosed plus the screening wall. We will in, uh, include noise monitoring equipment so we can regularly measure noise levels. Um, in terms of the residential side, we've done a noise study already. The noise is emanating from 28. The data centers will be the most effective noise attenuation. But Trey's also agreed to a sound level internally of 45 dBA. 
if for any reason we determine that that could be violated, which we don't think it ever will be, then we have to mitigate. How do you mitigate? Double plane glass, enhanced construction materials, whether it's um, um, additional insulation or the drywall, uh, any of those things. I don't think any of that's gonna be necessary, all that uh, in the proffers. So staff has not had a chance to evaluate all this because quite frankly, we resubmitted in mid-October and we wanted to have an opportunity to understand the universe of questions from the commission, but we've gone a long way towards addressing, we think, virtually everything that you've heard tonight, other than the policy question, which if somebody asks me a question, I'll be happy to show you those slides and talk about that as well, or lighting, or about anything else. Before we go too far, I do want to pop back to Marshall. Um, we heard from the applicant about the buffer issue and now being the 45 feet. Obviously, you haven't seen that CDP revised to show that, but is the issue with the buffer there simply the distance, or are there plant materials missing that also will need to be captured in there? It would be a bit of both. Right now, the CDP that we have analyzed does not have the width, but there's no information in general about those buffers, so we don't. We would assume if they are going to provide the type B and type C buffer that they're going to meet the plant materials. Otherwise, again, another ZMA would be needed. Right. So if they provide the buffer, they will be meeting the zoning ordinance standard. Okay. Which will be demonstrated by the revised plat that we assume will come in at some point. Right. We'll come with another submission. Okay. All right. Can I ask a clarification, that Tony, on, on the noise mitigation, Tony? Is this are these things that are in the proffers that I haven't seen or? Are they things that will be in the proffers? So. The, the screen that you're looking at, Mr. Merrithew, will be in the proffers. It was not submitted in October. This part was not included in October. All right, thank you. So if I can ask follow-up on Go ahead, too. Mr. Kirshner. So staff has not reviewed these or reacted to these yet? That's correct. Okay. And also, I, I wanted to follow up on the, um, the um, substation question. Tony, I mean, what I just heard before is that what you guys are committing to still does not preclude a substation from eventually being. Um, I, I think it's it's frankly just a question of wording. We, we actually did specifically proffer out substation. I think staff would like us to refine the language. If I'm remembering, it's what they want us to say is utility substation comma distribution, that that would be excluded. We will happily exclude that. We'll be happy to revise the proffer that way. I don't need to say, Mr. Merrithew, to your point, a ZCPA can change that. Here's what's most important. The three-acre community park is, is where the substation was with Dulles 2000. I have lots of Dulles 2000 slides because I look at that application and I really do see why, from a UTC perspective, even to Mr. Combs's point, we're 1.2 miles from Metro, by the way. And um, someone told me at the beginning of the hearing, I was trying to, okay, how far is 1.2 miles? I spent a lot of time in Reston. Mr. Miller goes up and down Evergreen Mills Road every day. I go up and down Reston Parkway every day when I wasn't going to Loudoun Country Day. <coughs> For those of you who know it, the Tyson's, or the Reston Station, right in the middle of the toll road, if you know where the Home Depot is, straight up Reston Parkway, that's 1.2 miles. That's a long walk. That's not a core area. Um, so we can easily take care of the substation issue. Mr. Merrithew, why do we not, we don't need batteries, we have the backup generators, the significant substation, it's a regional substation, it's a confluence of both Dominion and Novak is up on the old COPT property. 
um, the, the old waterside property to the north and to the east of this site. There's a regional uh, substation there. The distribution lines, not transmission lines, distribution lines will come from that station west on Old Ox, down Shell Road to this site. We do not need transmission lines. We will proffer, and we have proffered, we'll make it even clearer that the distribution lines will be underground. We do not need a substation. We're happy to proffer it out. And good luck to anybody who tries to come back and take our pretty three-acre park and put a substation on it. I will not propose that application. I will not be sitting here. I don't think anybody will because we don't need it. <coughs> I'm trying to stay focused on the questions asked, Madam Chair. Okay. It's not easy for me to do, by As the way, but I'm trying. How? Commissioner Kircher. Yeah, ask staff for, to respond to that. So, what, are the attorneys, are we comfortable then that, that we could not get a substation? Or, I think we just said before, we still could get a substation. They came with a, ZCPA, right? Yes, that's correct. <clears throat> yes, that's correct. If but the, it hasn't uh, changed anything from what you said earlier, what he just said. Okay. Okay. Commissioner Miller, did you have any other questions? No. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask a few. Although are you, you two both are leaning in. No. Are you? <laughs> are we pushing no. buttons? No. All right. Well, well, we got through more than half of my questions. That's the good news. Um, before we leave the sound issue, I understand we're going to mitigate the sound of the Route 28, but data centers make sound. Is this a liquid-cooled data center, or is this this is fans, right? It will be fans. It, it will be, um, I'm assuming, uh, recycled water. It's not going to be, yeah, so it will be recycled water. But the fans um, in front of you at the moment, Chair, are the very issues that get to mm -hmm. why the fans will have no emanating noise. Not only are they behind the... Uh, not only behind the screening wall at the top of the data centers, uh, but again, we will have installed noise monitoring equipment. Uh, we will do studies before. We've already done some studies out there already. Well, and that was my question is, do we yeah. know what kind of sound this many of these particular fans tend sure. to generate? We do. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that can be placed into a model, um, which we've already done to some extent. We haven't finalized one because, frankly, we want to see how the planning commission goes but um, we have proffered to um, we've proffered to the noise standards including most importantly the interior noise of the residential is reflected there okay um, I, th I think that's um, then the noise in addition to the visuals as as we have covered adequately I believe that's a big reason why we have a hesitation about a data center um, in addition to the policy issue um, so right now, we could have Shaw Road and data centers and no residential. That is correct. Okay. And is Marie still online with us? Yes, I have oh. Marie Pham and Lindsay Marford from DTCI. Okay, well, I'll let Marie and Lindsay decide who gets to answer this. Um, and if they don't know, I think the applicant may have, the, well, I probably want both answers, but we'll see if we can agree on something. Um, do we know what the estimated cost for a two-lane... Well, okay, let me back up a second. The applicant can't put really either the data center or the residential here without Shaw Road improvements, correct? I will defer to DTCI. Yeah. 
sorry, could you repeat the question, Chair Frank? Absolutely, Marie. So, so if the applicant was going to put this development here, I understand that we would like the full final four lane configuration of Shaw Road, but they would, if we, they have to do something. They can't leave Shaw Road the way it is. That wouldn't be, I mean, there's way too much impact there um, for what's being proposed. So they, they would kind of have to do at least a two lane version of Shaw Road, correct? Right, they would need at least the two lanes to serve their development. Okay, and do we know roughly what the estimate of for a two lane chunk? I understand it's not going to be the same as, you know, half of four lanes. But um, so we're looking at about 0.6 miles, I believe, from what Tony had said. So we'd be looking at easily four and a half, five million dollars, probably. Okay, um, Tony, you guys, I, I think I, I threw this question at you earlier this afternoon. Did your traffic folks have an answer of approximately that cost? Uh, yes, ma'am. So Shaw Road, um, I'm debating whether you need any graphics on this, probably not. Um, so Shaw Road uh, from Old Ox to the southern portion of our site, um, all told with the intersection improvements is about $15.1 million. The intersection of Old Ox and Shaw, 1.2 million. We're taking that out of the equation. We're just saying we're gonna do that improvement. We're not asking for credit. So we're at 13.9 million okay. by our estimates. We had EE Reed do it, and they're usually quite good. 13.9 uh, million for that, for the four lane divided Shaw Road section. Aaron uh, from Grove Slate is here. Um, we estimate that doing a two-lane undivided section, which is probably all we need for most of this traffic, not desirable, not suggesting that, but no. two-lane undivided <laughs> is actually about 60 to 65% of the cost of doing a four-lane divided. It's more than half because of right-of-way and because of um, the infrastructure improvements and you have to do all the clearing and you have to relocate the utilities anyway. So 13.9 million, um, 62 and a half percent of that, I actually had to write it down, is about $8.6 million. And therefore, 13.9, about 8.6 million would be required if you were gonna just do two lanes, which isn't desirable for anybody. So about 5.2 million is the delta, is the remaining amount over and above what we think we would need um, in order to, to put in place the CTP road which we think is quite important. Is, is, did that answer your question? Do it you it does, it does. So I guess, you know, we've kind of, we've not really talked about the credit except to say it's an outstanding item. And I know that any credit is going to be an outstanding item, both with DTCI and staff, because we just don't have a policy in place to support accepting it. But for those who've played along for the last couple of years, you've heard my speech about it being ex, uh, explainable, defendable, repeatable. Um, when we're looking at these credits, you know, I need to understand where it is so we can explain to constituents and, and other decision makers how we got to the number we got to. It can't just be a, well, that feels about right kind of number because the next person who comes down the road is going to ask us for a number two, which is the repeatable part. You know, I have to have a logic behind the number for the credit that makes sense. So we had a project recently and we looked at it and I said, what's the delta? Because your impact, you, you have to have this road. You, that's your impact. So to me, that, that's not eligible for credit. Um, so the numbers that start feeling better for a credit to me 
look more like the numbers we were just talking about than the 6.9, which I believe was in the most recent version um, that we saw. And I'm not saying I'm completely on board with 5.2, but it, at least I can see where we got to it. And it, it, to me, it's a logical way of getting there. Um, I don't know if the applicant would be on board with that. And I know how staff is still gonna say it's an outstanding item because it's a credit. Um, but I just throw that out there, I guess, as food for thought with folks. Um, uh, okay. I think that's my only question. I have my two friends. Mr. Matthew, go ahead. Staff, this is a, a left field question, so feel free to say I don't know. <laughs> but, and I'm thinking about one Loudon and how far away it is from Metro. How far away are the Residence and Innovation Gateway from the Waterside Commercial or the Ravana Commercial? I would have to get exact distances, but I believe this is 1.2 miles from the Metro Station. Mm -hmm. So um, slightly further to closer, Ravana, right. or closer to Ravana, and uh, Waterside would, of course, be closer as well. And there's residential on the other side, planned on the other side, according to the applicant's conceptual contextual plan. Uh, residential approved with Waterside on the other side of this project and on the south side of the project? That's correct. Okay. I believe so. M Mr. Merrithew, if I may, the map, sorry, five, five. Um, gets right to the your question. It doesn't show the precise distances, but it shows the surrounding uses. That's your contextual? Yes, sir. Yeah, I've got that up, so. That's what I'm curious about that. We talk about proximity to Metro, but we have town center t concepts like One Loudon and like Waterside that are, are potentially going to provide the amenities for this, this residential component. And I'm just curious about how close they were. Well, they appear to be <coughs> reasonably walkable, less than a mile. To the get yours to work. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Marshall can point out the res the residential component of Innovation Gateway, right above where it says Innovation Gateway, is is um, Trace Fairfield Building. It, it is, as you note, and as you recall, the yellow area to the south of it. So page right. Um, is yellow residential. The, mm -hmm. the, the core of the Waterside Town Center is that blue area that with the green in between, that, that open space between. So, I mean, that's a couple hundred yards. Uh, you can obviously see where the future public use site is in purple right across from Shaw Road, as well as the yellow surrounding. I understood is the core the to be the red area. Residential, yeah. Where the school's located and where the commercial's located in the red? That is, yes, sir, that's commercial or retail. That's right. I don't Mr. know what the blue, what's the blue signify, office? Office, that's correct. So the blue is not the core, the retail core that the residents would be interested in. Right there, yeah. Right. And this is a hotel and whatever else. Okay. Commissioner Matthew, Marie, Marie Pham had done a quick distance, and she said if Shaw Road was extended, this would be about a half mile from Block A for Ravana. Okay. Thank you. I was just curious about, we're worried about Metro, but we also have to worry about proximity to other services. Thank you. Commissioner Kircher. Thank you. Yeah, I had a question, um, which I asked for the uh, applicant. Tony, we talked about it earlier. <clears throat> what the um, 
total area is of the tree safe area that you guys are proposing. And also, if you know approximately what your total area of planted area will be um, in this open space, which is the butterfly gardens, the pollinator gardens, tree save, and the arboretum, and I guess the, probably the, the pond and the wetland areas. Do you know, like, can you tell me just generally what that is? I do. It's, it's reflected, Marshall, on slide 26. Uh, the reforestation area, Ms. Mm -hmm. Kirshner, within the three-acre community park, mm -hmm. the reforestation area is about 18,000 square feet, okay. about 0.42 of an acre. Um, the predominance of the rest of it, other obviously than the stormwater management area, I mean, we'll, we'll preserve any healthy trees that we can, and the, the revegetation commitments, uh, of course, have the, the native species. The native plant. Yes, ma'am. And uh, we talked earlier today about what's on slide, the previous slide, 25, um, which reflects the specifics that you were asking about, both at the commission hearing and this afternoon, uh, with regard to... Uh, the exact size of all those noted features on uh, slide 25, Marshall. Thank you. Okay. So you're about, what, 20,000 square feet of planted living the area. planted area is about 18,000 square yeah. feet, so just over 0.4 of an acre for reforestation. The tree save area is, is more significant than that. I, I don't And, and then I, I'm looking at the pollinator gardens, and oh, I'm yes, looking at what's going to be living open space versus, you know, dog park or pickleball courts. So, okay. Um, that's helpful. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Do you have any other questions from the commission? Marshawn, you have If there was, I was going to I just wanted to make one comment to the commission once you're done with your questions. I think we're done. Okay. So go ahead. So to, to address the elephant in the room, you know, the policy conflict, the UTC specifically by, poli by policy and by language excludes, you know, the data center developments. To our knowledge, this is the first application of its type in the UTC, at least legislatively, that would allow data center use. And so that's what we wanted to emphasize to the commission. Is this enough, is this proposal enough to overcome that policy conflict and that we would not see it repeated throughout the, the, the entirety of the rest of the, of the place type? And I, I think Mr. Uh, Calabrese has expressed that he had already anticipated that question, but um, that would be what we would want to emphasize to the, to the board, being the first out the door of this type of application. Are you comfortable beyond just the compatibility issues that are inherent to data center next to residential, but what is this taking the place of? This is an, an area that was intended to direct mixed use and transit oriented development, uh, regardless of the you know, sort of the distance, but it was, it was to direct data center elsewhere and direct these types of uses specific to this site. So that in total, uh, what the applicant is proffering, are you comfortable with that to overcome uh, that policy conflict and then be defensible. You know, obviously the road improvements that are a part of this are significant, perhaps unlike some of the other road infrastructure that um, uh, is remaining to be constructed. So the, we would appreciate the, the commission's sort of deliberate discussion about those sorts of things um, as you move forward on the application. Thank you. Thank you, Marchant. <coughs> do we have a question, Commissioner Kirscher? Yes, I do. Sorry. Okay, one last one. Okay, thank you. No, just to, to, to ask a follow-up question on that. So, I mean, we would be setting a precedent here. Um, and so from your perspective, you're saying it would, you know, in terms of being defensible, I mean, I guess 
if you can like elaborate on that a little more because so, just saying like okay we just let's say that we're that we recommended approval of this and saying because we felt it was mitigated by x x x x and x correct fine so two things one leo rogers will always say every application is a precedent right uh what it matters is the and that's where we have the findings and the findings are deliberate to speak to why in this context was a particular decision appropriate either for approval or for denial and that's where in this case, given that it's the first out the door and there will likely be people referring to this application in the future, if the commission's comfortable with moving it forward, we would just ask that you be deliberate about why you feel it's appropriate in this context um, and what variables or what other commitments that are made that the commission felt comfortable, if you're so inclined, to, to move it forward. So. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Barnes, you're killing Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. <laughs> I did talk so far. I know you didn't. That's the only reason I'm going back. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the reason I'm a little bit hesitating about the precedent. That once you open the door, the horse is out of the barn, and then we have no control over it. So data centers will be coming around on this kind of places uh, uh, all the time. You know that, that then it will be open, and uh, we were talking about putting data centers certain places. I think the supervisors are talking about it to control that. And uh, that's the only concern I have. It looks okay, but uh, the, if we do that, then uh, what happens? You know, then we, it's gonna be another one and another one coming up to us. Thank you. Okay. All right, being that we are in the Broad Run District, I'll go ahead and make the motion on this one. Oh boy, okay. I move that the Planning Commission forward Legi 2023-0027 Innovation Gateway ZMAP 2022-0001 Specs 2022-0002 ZMOD 2022-0005 ZMOD 2022-0006 ZMOD 2022-0007 ZMOD 2022-0008 ZMOD 2022-0009 and ZMOD 2022-0010 to the Board of Supervisors with recommendation of denial based on the findings for denial as provided as attachment one to the November 28, 2023 Planning Commission Public Hearing Staff Memorandum. Second. All right, motion is made by Chair Frank, seconded by Commissioner Merithieu. Um, I, I Marchant kind of teed up where I am. Um, We've, we've come a long way with this application. We've come a long way with this property, but at the end of the day, I think right now we've just got too many loose ends. Um, we've got to nail down what everybody would feel like. A credit amount is appropriate, that, that, that whether the applicant can sign up to that, um, but really it comes down to the core policy issue of allowing this use in this place. Um, I understand the argument that this is on the fringe and it's you know 1.2 miles from Metro, but four years of sitting up here, or almost four years, three years and 11 months, um, has taught me that if we open up this area um, to this use, we should fully expect those that are just a bit closer, two tenths of a mile closer to Metro, or maybe just three tenths of a mile closer, to wanna look at this use in the future. I do think we are going to have people who follow behind this and want to do this and that I don't think most of us would, I, I mean, that's why I think we all, uh, the earlier iteration of this, not this application, but this property, um, 
why we responded to it the way we did. We, we were not comfortable going on that side of Old Ox Road with this use. And um, I think once we go down that path for 30 to 50 years before we get to redevelop, but none do it. So um, it, it, as Commissioner Merrithew pointed out, it doesn't have the right mix of blends within a quarter to half a mile as far as some kind of retail and other uses. It has a mix, but I'm not sure it's really the spirit of what was intended in the UTC. So at this point, it's just not a policy can, um, decision that I'm comfortable endorsing. I guess I'm still on. Commissioner Merrithew. I'm going to support the motion. Um, I think the policy question uh, is part of the issue. But to me, there's, there's a serious potential for detrimental impact on some projects that have been improved in this area, approved in this area, that haven't started yet, and that perhaps are more tenuous than, than a data center project would be in terms of marketability and so on at, the, at this point in time. So my, my reason for opposing the application is because it will impact detrimentally the ability for these other projects which have been approved uh, even recently to develop uh, the way that the plan calls for them to develop. In fact, it'll, it'll reverse those or replace those projects. Uh, I don't think the project fulfills the objectives of the comprehensive plan for quality of residential development and for the land use issue in this particular area. Um, and I don't think it fulfills the purpose of the zoning district that it's in. So, uh, and finally, the to me, the project proposes less than desirable residential environment uh, and less than desirable residential amenities, as evidenced by uh, other neighborhoods in the in uh, adjacent to data centers. It's just not proven to me that it's going to be that desirable to have two 110-foot or 100-foot buildings up against a 55-foot building. There's always a potential for noise. There's always a potential for visual impact and so on. So uh, for those reasons, in addition to the findings that staff included in the staff report, I'll be supporting the motion. Commissioner Miller. So I, I agree with a lot of what Commissioner Merrithew said. Um, I think that there, there are some challenges with um, what could be coming if this gets approved. But I also think that um, the, the, the innovation that potentially could come from this project um, could, could lead to a discussion that could be helpful for the county. Now, I will also go back up and say I don't think this application is quite ready yet. And I think there are other things that we could do to improve it. Um, but I also recognize that the, um, the applicant would rather go to the board than go back to another work session to try and improve things. Um, hopefully, whatever the commission looks like in the next term, we can work to change those things so we get applications finished before we send them on to the board. Um, but um, while I think that this app the, the motion will succeed, and I think it will succeed not very close, um, I am going to oppose the motion only so that um, it doesn't go to the board 9-0 um, in the hopes that someone says, what was this guy thinking not supporting denial? What, what was the rationale? What was the thought process? 
maybe, that will come out of this that lets others think, gee, okay, maybe this is what he was looking at, this is what he was thinking, and maybe this is something we should consider as we continue to look at how we develop Loudoun County and what compatible uses might actually end up being and where they might go. Um, I've long been a proponent of form-based zoning. Um, no, not long, but during the zoning ordinance rewrite, I came around to the world of form-based zoning. Um, and I think this is one of those instances where if we had a form-based zoning plan um, ordinance that we might find that this would be um, acceptable. So um, while I don't, while I agree, I understand why this will probably, um, the motion will pass, um, and I'm not gonna be, a, not be upset about that. Um, I think I'm going to oppose it because I would like to see some discussion come out of it um, that might be beneficial to the county at some point in the future. Commissioner Kirchner. Thank you. Um, I'm really on the fence on this because I think it's not quite ready, but I think generally speaking, I think it's something that might work. Um, the idea of having the data centers uh, right next to Route 28, I always talk about, I don't think it's appropriate, I don't care where we are, whether it's urban areas, suburban areas, having people right up next to a very busy highway. Um, so I, that concept to me seemed to make sense. There are a lot of things that haven't been worked out. Um, I mean, we talked about them this morning. There are things that the staff you know, hasn't, hasn't been able to look at. Um, I get the precedent setting thing, but I think that potentially with more work and discussion is something that, that I could get more comfortable with. It's, um, I think it's, it's a little bit frustrating that we can't continue working on this because it could be something new and innovative that might be ultimately good uh, way to fit in data centers in an area where they might provide some sort of noise attenuation for a highway. Um, so this is, this is a tough one for me. Commissioner Barnes. Uh, I will be supporting the motion for the reasons uh, you mentioned before. Vice Chair Combs. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I, I find myself um, agreeing with a lot of what's been said, but mostly with what Commissioner Kirshner and, and Miller have said. Um, I, I, you know, I've read through the, the UTC place type in the plan uh, several times. Um, I don't, I, I feel like this is a project that that is not plan busting. This is something that if massaged more, um, I think could be that type of innovative concept I think Commissioner Kirshner was alluding to. And yes, we don't wanna see a proliferation of data centers throughout the UTC, but couldn't we style something with this application so as it, to really discourage any proliferation? I mean, th this to me is an outlier in that sense. It's Given it's proximity to 28, um, it's proximity right away from metro. Um, the, the the economic reality I think we're dealing with with office and how UTC is so reliant on office um, being such a core use and this is it's really taking a hybrid approach to data center and office. It's that existential piece that Commissioner Miller teed up and I think. It's just got a lot on both sides of the ledger that I, 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 I do wish we, we could do more with. Um, I, 
I understand there are there are contract limitations and this does need to be f to move forward but my preference would be that um, that the application does ripen more to a point where it can really um, perhaps breathe some um, some real life into I think this parcel um, that's sorely needed um, and and actually complement um, what's going on around it um, not in in a detrimental way um, so for that reason I I am not going to support the motion before us um, because that would be my preference. Thank you. Commissioner Moderati. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'm probably going to repeat many of the same things other commissioners are saying, um, but I would like to commend the applicant um, on working on it from our previous meeting. I do like a lot of things in this new application. Um, I know we are still having challenges with the uh, the policy question, whether this fits in there. Um, but I am in the same direction as some of other other commissioners are saying. We are kind of going in the right direction for a new innovative thing in this place. Um, but I don't like the fact that um, we don't get to do that. We, um, I, I wish we get to work on this more and to get to a place where um, we can make it better to present to supervisors. Um, but if this is going to go to supervisors today, um, I'll support um, 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 Chase's motion um, denying it. But if we get to if we get to work on it a little longer with the staff to make it even better to come up with new, even better than what we have here, um, probably I would have supported that motion. So, thank you. Okay, um, I will make a very brief closing just in that I, I too do appreciate the progress that we've made here and I would hope that this is going to move through the, the process one way or another. Um, I would hope that, that some of these changes that have been talked about that weren't captured in the October submission can get cemented um, because I do think it makes it a better, a better project and hopefully we can get it to the board in a way that, that perhaps they feel a little more comfortable with it. Um, but I just don't think it's it's there at the moment. So uh, that's all I will say. We have a motion on the floor. Oh, wait. Oh, 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 you're, I'm getting a high signal. Sorry. I, I got one as well, uh, Chair. Um, when would the next work session for the Planning Commission be available? I've been asked. Probably ask. January. And and even that's going to be, we're, we're, that's, you know, orientation. So... February probably. You, you, it might be February. I, I mean, you're asking me on the fly. I don't like putting staff on the, on the spot. But if I'm being honest, you'd have to be prepared for it to be February. Um, I've been uh, encouraged to suggest that we'd be willing to go to work session. If that would be um, acceptable to the chair and to the commission. I think we ought to vote on the button. Can you all give me 30 seconds? I want to run a calendar thing past staff real quick. Make sure I haven't just stuck us with something that's a problem. <laughs> huh? He said that she, that um, change it now. Yeah, we got to vote on the motion therefore. No. no yes, if we go I'm going to support the motion.
All right, we're going to do this in a very public manner. My apologies, but boy, you're on the hook now. Um, you're looking at around February 8th would be, would be that date, assuming that the new commission comes in and keeps the schedule and there's no conflicts with the board, um, which would mean pretty much turning it around you know, the first week of January, you'd have to have your submission in. So if that's something that you are, the, the applicant's team is committed to doing and to really, really, really working with Marshall and I will throw my myself into that mix as well. I'm happy to have discussions as needed and I think Mr. Marathew is gonna to need to be part of that because this is, by then, that goes into the Sterling district. No, forget it. No, I'm just Madam, <laughs> Madam Chair. I mean, you know, you, you are Sterling district, not Broad Run after January, I don't know if it miraculously happens on the first of the year. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Madam Chair. Yes, sir. Why don't sir. we vote on the motion and see where it goes and then make another motion. Okay. Yeah, that, that uh, I mean. I can just withdraw I would rather that because I don't want to do that. Okay, what, what I am gonna do, Commissioner Barnes, while I appreciate that suggestion, I, I ran through with Jason and he'll throw a shoe at me if I've overstepped my, my legal bounds, but it sounds like, um, quite honestly, I would rather it go to a work session myself than, than recommend denial, but um, you know, having had earlier discussions with folks, we figured this was probably the preferred route if we couldn't get there. So, given that that appears to be um, Changing a bit, uh, I would like to withdraw my motion if the seconder would agree to that. I will withdraw the motion if the schedule for the work session is February 2 pending staff's receipt of all materials and review of all materials. Yep, so. And I don't know, does the applicant willing to make that commitment? Oh yeah, okay. No, the answer is yes. We've actually done most of the proper work okay. already, Mr. Merrithew, so it, it won't take us long to okay. turn things back around. All right. The All right, then, then that motion is withdrawn. I'll make a new motion. Um, I gotta read the, I move that the Planning Commission forward Legi 2023-0027 Innovation Gateway you're gonna make me read all this again. ZMAP 2022-0001, SPECS 2022-0002, ZMOD 2022-0005, ZMOD 2022-006, ZMOD 2022-0007, ZMOD 2022-0008, ZMOD 2022-0009, and ZMOD 2022-0010 to a future Planning Commission work session. Second. Get out of here. I, I Marshall, are you crying? Or I had your head down. I'm just worried. Well, you, you know, I'll, I'll give me 30 minutes. I'll, I'll do what I can about that. Um, all right. Uh, I don't think we need to talk about it anymore. Uh, motion on the floor by Chair Frank, seconded by Commissioner Matthew. Uh, does anybody have any discussion or comments to make? I'm not going to make an opening or closing. I've kind of beat that horse. Yes, moving to. Uh, we are sending it to work session. Yeah, I know. Moving to work session, we is that the concern that the staff presented is still stays the same. They it's they have be the same place. Yeah, maybe not. Five weeks to send a new submission in that that addresses some of those concerns, and the hope is that no, they will. The place type. That policy issue is still going to be there. Yeah, that's yes. what I'm saying. The yes. policy is going to be there. Yep. And once you break that policy, then it can be built anywhere whenever people come around and you know, say, hey, you, uh, you approved that one there, and I'm here to ask for the same thing. So there, that's where I am. You know. Okay. Okay. Commissioner Hayes. 
No, I was ready to vote. Oh, okay. Commissioner Miller, ready to vote? Oh, yeah. Okay, we have a motion on the table. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? I'm nay. Okay, motion carries 810. Commissioner Barnes, opposed. Thank you. All right, everybody. Uh, we don't have any administrative things, do we? Okay, we're going to see you frequently um, in December on this, like, on a Thursday and a Tuesday or Monday. All right. Yeah, we are adjourned.